The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation, episode 335. How we all doing? We're here. Doing well. Good, but busy. <laughs> I could hear a little bit of an echo, a garbled echo in my headset here during that. I intro. could too. That's kind Hang of weird. On. And we have some Diet Mountain Dew, Diet Dr. Pepper, and some coffee. Nectar of the gods <laughs> and stuff. Stuff. <laughs> stuff. Okay. I was right. trying to see where the echo was coming from. Where the echo was coming from. Dude, Somebody's dude, got it. Dude. I think it's Somebody's... only when you talk. I haven't changed any settings. Yeah, it's definitely you. That's it's not you. It's me. No. I have no idea. I have no idea. Is this the technical this the... rehearsal? No. Okay. Tell you what. Let's go ahead and do the uh, introductions. <laughs> Um, is it going on the stream that way too, or is it just locally to us on Zoom? I don't know, can't tell. Oh, there it's gone. Yeah, it's gone now. <clears throat> okay, so I guess whoever just muted, stay muted. <laughs> All right, let's see. Push this little button over here, and all right. Top left-hand corner, yours truly, the monkey that pushes the wrong buttons. Next up, Patrick Euland. Hey, folks. And Mark Overhoser. Hey there, glad to be here. And Ken Waters. Hello, everybody. And next up, Ron Delvo. Welcome, 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 welcome. In theme with his Max Headroom background. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next over, we got L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay. And then Bob Bemery with the Northern Lights. Greetings and welcome. And Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody, and God help us all. <laughs> well, what'd you do now? He must know something. <laughs> what do you know? <clears throat> oh, Chiefs. Yes, exactly. Okay, then next up we got Jason, Cocoman.biz. That's right. I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, although it looks like Ron Delvo needs no, to try to find some new Coke. 
And Brian Weasler. Brian Weasler. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Okay. Then Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And last but not least, Nick Marentes. Hello, everyone. Here we go again. Maybe we'll get right. it. For some reason, we're here again. Yes. Yep. Let's see. First What's up, a... I think we have some project updates. Brian, what do you got for us this week? Curtis, did you want to make some announcement or do we? I can do it after this. Oh, yeah. I just want to do it near the top of the show. So. Okay. Oh, you know, I didn't say hello to the, to the chat. Hello to the chat. I'll give Brian time to get his camera stuff already. All right, let's see. We got in the chat. Uh, for those who are not already on the panel, we got Tom Eric Gunderson, random Facebook user, uh, P Peter Willard, Mark Siegel, um, let's see, Mikey, and who else? Eric uh, Patrico Montero, Kevin Holloway. Oh, he's on the chat. Ah, get rid of that thing. Um, all right. Hello, everybody out there in the, in the netherworld. All right. Brian, you ready to go? Sure. <laughs> there we go. That's the right button. <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing I was going to show you guys is something I had uh, shown once before, but recently uh, on Facebook, there are a guy, uh, Perry... Perry Duke, maybe his name might be Perry. Um, he had asked a question about a joystick, if anybody had one of these and um, what they thought about it. And, uh, of course, uh, Jason was quick to post, Brian, do you have one? <laughs> and so, and so and I, only one? And <laughs> only one, yeah. And only one. So, um, yeah, I did, uh, I did chime in on that one there and uh, shared some pictures, but I thought I'd just share it on the show here. And I might flag him to uh, come look at the show, and then he can see it. Uh, uh, see it here. So, let's see, let me switch the camera. There we go. Uh, there was a company out there that made this uh, joystick. Uh, A2D uh, company um, made this particular joystick uh, for the uh, color computer. Uh, this company, um, I, I can't remember the guy's name. When I posted some pictures, he actually chimed in, and he actually worked for this company back in the day. He did some. I think he did some advertising logos. He might have even been one that was involved with kind of creating this symbol. Uh, but this was a company that that made joysticks for like RC planes. And you can kind of see the uh, little bit of the similarity there. Let me go ahead and open this up here. And I was just going to share these again. Uh, some of you may have seen it before. But uh, they come with a really nice long cable. Mm. Uh, Metal-ended... Uh, uh, dim plugs. The color keeps changing. Is it gray or light blue? It's a uh, it's gray. Oh, okay. And uh, oops, they got the symbol on the side here on the end. And uh, there are the switches on the bottom here, so you can change it from um, uh, from whether you want it free floating or or the the self centering. But uh, it's just a square box, and uh, you get the the trim here. But it's a they actually did use the uh, RC style uh, joystick in the center of it. So, but mm. I thought I'd just share those. I thought they were it's kind of like a miniaturized craft. Craft. Well, sort except of. the 
the way these things are built internally, see how it, it's a separate side by side and it rocks. It doesn't go to a single common point. It's built like you were could crash something into a house with it or not. You know? <laughs> these actually it's, do have a little bit of weight to them for their size. Very, so. very impressive. Well, just looking at the DIN plug, I mean, that's like uh, XLR mic level stuff. It's not, those are not cheap. Right. Not I remember these that. being advertised in Rainbow or anything. Does anybody else remember these? Uh, they, I think they were actually in the Rainbow. I believe. Oh, okay. awesome. I think I did. I think I did find an ad. I don't. I thought I did. Maybe I'm uh, remembering wrong, but I thought I'd seen an ad. No rubber feet, right? Um, no, they have. It's, yes. They're actually kind of. They're kind of molded. It's molded right into the case there. And, and do you know what these would have cost retail? And also, what time frame were these available? Oh, well, mm. that's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to go look and see if I could find that. Find the ad again. Um, Way to do your research, Brian. Well, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't prepared for that question there, but uh, let's see here. There is a, uh, a sheet. There was a manual here, but uh, general instructions. I was looking to see if maybe they might have stuck a date on uh, a date on here, but um, I'm just wondering if this easy. was a competitor with Craft directly at the time, since there's a lot of the same features. But this looks like a more solid build. Yeah. Now, is is this just a one button joystick? Correct. Okay, so it does so it have a one two era. Yeah. Have a five or a six pin din. Um, it six. does have a six pin din on it. Okay. Let's see here. I don't see a date. This is just uh, it's actually on a legal size sheet of paper, and they even have a little type in program just to uh, test the joystick. This is Apple users only, but I'm sure it could be easily modified. Yeah, David Craig in the chat saying Perry Duick uh, saw these in Rainbow Ads, so they're definitely in Rainbow. I just don't remember them, I guess. I'll have to find that. So I thought I'd just bring those back out onto the show again. I think I'd, it might have been two or three years ago that I might have uh, had these out. Okay, let's see here. The next thing I was going to show, I got kind of a kind of a little wide variety of stuff today. Um this was out on eBay, and I've been wanting to get a second one. I have one that I, I use for another machine, but I've wanted to get one. These work really nice also for the for the Dragon. And so this is a Zipster's uh, Mini MPI that he made. So um, just picked up one of those, but I think we've all kind of seen those before. It'd be nice if he was to start making these again. I think they were really popular, and and uh, folks seem to really like them. But, I'm uh, trying to remember. He actually did have a couple of things he released, like a batch of six or something recently. I thought this was one of them. Maybe not. Maybe it was the MC. Yeah, he's tens. had the uh, uh, the MCX uh, 32, the, the SD for the M, uh, MC10. Um, he has his Coco SDC, and those are still in stock. And then um, he had his um, uh, he has Coco DAC that he had six of those out there, and those have all been sold. I think is right that, now the only thing he has is his SDC on hand. So, is that the external power supply there by your knuckles? Yep, yep. It uses a uh, just a little wall power supply, five volts on the end here. And the switches are for. That's to set which one of these is primary. If you want, if you want it to to uh, be specific, like the slider would have been on the front of the uh, regular MPI. Why is there two? I think you can set the slot to. Um, the, the second, the second one, I can't remember. I'd have to look at the instruction. I don't remember offhand. What this is the? I know this is the slot select, and I'm trying to. I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden on what the second one did. It doesn't need a power switch, right? No, there's or no. Maybe power that's switch. it. 
No, there's no power switch. Because there is on a on a correct, uh, you know, a tandy one. A tandy one. Yep. So a quick check on uh, Zipster's website. He has 13 Coco SDCs available. Um, and I will have to switch menus to see what else he's got. I thought the other switch had something to do with which slots it was because there's only two of the yeah, four. Yeah, because there's only two and like some software's hard-coded for like the hard drive should be in slot three. So I thought it was something you could flip that yeah. instead of yeah, being I'm, one and two. I'm, I'm trying to remember one. Yeah, yeah, I know was. one is the slot select and the other one I don't remember what it was for. I'd have to bring up the manual again. Mikey Let's, says you can switch the second slot between slot one, two, and three, and the other slot is always four. There you go. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Mikey. Saving us from reading the instructions. Correct. So how, don't you have to put some additional lift on it in order to use the dragon? As I recall, the dragon slot is higher yeah, off. I think you can just have to, uh, you can probably build up something on the feet here. But it's it's since it doesn't stick out that far, it actually would probably support it on its own. Yeah, since it, since it doesn't uh, it, uh, stick out that far, so yep. And then the just, uh, the just same put a seller, coaster under it. There you go. And then the same seller also had um, one of uh, Zipster's uh, Coco PSGs. Yeah. And this is something I did not have, and I've been I've been wanting to buy one, but uh, he never had any in stock, so I picked up one of these here. The five twelve K flash on it's really nice. You can load cartridges on it and then do stuff. Yeah, because that's like a big combo card. It's got like a sound chip, two joystick ports, and uh, the flash RAM, right? Yep, it has the uh, the YM twenty one forty nine sound sound chip in it, and it has the you have the two joysticks. Now these you have to, you you have to program. You can't Those just use a regular program to do it. You have to have uh, your program would have to be modified to recognize these, from what I understand. Those are actually just discrete I/O because he's using sixty five twenty twos, I think, and so. Okay. Oh, and actually, they go in the AY. Sorry, the AY chip or the Yamaha equivalent has the input, so they're just digital. They could be anything. You could use right. it for a, a data collector. Okay. You know, put some buttons on it and hook it up to something. So, or nice. you can program it to to you know read a an Atari stick. Okay. And uh, and as Mark said, it has the the five twelve K of flash, and it also has five twelve K of RAM that can be used as well. And then this is just your audio output right there. So. I haven't had a chance to play with this yet. Uh, he does have a few test things out there on his site that you can use, uh, you can download to uh, to test this. Brian, do you only have one computer set up, or how many do you have set up so you can test stuff when it comes? Just one right now. So you you if you get something for a Coco two, you'd have to set up a two. Yes. Yep. I just have the right now. I just don't have the space like I had before. So we, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's see here the next thing i'd like to show you guys uh, i have kind of a wide variety today um i posted about the uh amdac uh disc and in search of a manual and there was a guy by the name of hector who's up in canada and uh let's see let me back this up just a little bit here and he actually had a copy of the manuals both the user manual um, uh, and the technical manual. The technical manual actually does get into, you know, details, line signals, all sorts of stuff for the uh, for the drive. Um, and then this one here would be the user's manual. There's about three paragraphs for the color computer because I've been trying to get my drive going, and I have one disc that works, um, but I've been unsuccessful to format um, some other discs. And I actually found some of these new discs 
uh, actually new stock uh, that I bought a couple from a guy and I haven't been able to format them either. So I was hoping that there might be something in this manual and it really didn't answer my questions too well. So I'm just have to keep playing um, with this, but uh, you can use a regular Radio Shack floppy disk controller and you can treat this just like you do a floppy drive. So I'm going to keep working with it and see if I can't get mine going, but uh, uh, I'm going to be making copies of this manual um, and I'm going to be sending these back to, uh, to Hector, but I just, uh, I really appreciated him sending these to me and uh, I'm going to uh, copy them and then get them out uh, up onto the archive as well. And then the other thing I thought was kind of neat is there was a little, uh, I'm not sure how clear this is going to come through, but it was a little sales thing. Uh, Amdeck also made um, some monochrome monitors, some composite color monitors, uh, some RGB monitors. Um, and then they had, here's the different drives they had, and they had some other um, uh, other video related like cables and stuff like that. But uh, how much were uh, the RGB ones? Monitor? Yeah. Uh, 560 or $900. Wow. Now, out on eBay, you will see this one here quite a bit. It's the Color One. I actually um, have co composite monitor. You have one, Mark? Yeah, it has a monochrome uh, audio input as well as the composite color. I use it with my Commodore 64. Okay. I rocked a 300A for years. That was a great monitor. Yeah, not bad at all. It's a oh. monochrome monitor? No, it's color. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, is I'm it? talking about for programming. I had that 12-inch amber with the contrast yeah. screen built into it. That was the best monitor you ever saw on a Coco as far as okay. text quality. I wasn't sure what monochrome audio was. Uh, well, you know, it's only one channel. Um, <laughs> and way, it has chrome in it somewhere, yeah. yeah it's go. colorful. <laughs> people don't remember back in the day, after the five and a quarter floppies came out, I remember there was a three inch, a three and a quarter, and a three and a half. And, half yeah. and I remember Apple went with the Sony three and a half, and it was kind of like, well, there's still the three, the three and a quarter, and three and a half, and then IBM brought out the PS2 line with the three and a half Sony, and yep, it was all over. That was that. <laughs> yep. Apple, then IBM. Okay, it's done. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I appreciate him uh, sending me those uh, these manuals here, and uh, at least I can get some of the information documented. Um, but uh hasn't got me any farther down the road on getting the drives to, to work yet, so the way they're supposed to. Oh, Mark Overholzer, you confused Mikey, too, in the chat. He said, I've never heard of monochrome audio. <laughs> <laughs> there you have. I believe that's when you only know one cuss word. <laughs> Let's see here. We'll do a little rearranging here. Okay. So the next thing I was going to show here, and then I'm going to share my screen here on the, on the Coco, but um, person had this, uh, this, this J and M out there and uh, they originally had it listed for like 150 bucks and I kind of kept on watching it. And uh, then they lowered the price and then they had make an offer. So I shot him an offer there and he accepted. And um, I have a couple of these already, but uh, he listed it this time with the cover off of it. And um, what kind of intrigued me was it had this modified ROM uh, chip here where they take the 24 to make it a 28 pin or use a 20 pin rim ROM on there, but there was no label on it. And I, these always kind of intrigued me because sometimes you, you get some custom ROMs out there um, that we don't have out on the archive. And so I, I picked it up for mainly that purpose there. And I'll, I'll show you here in a minute uh, which ROM uh, that is. And then another one that was out there, I got this one here a while back. Did you get the screws with it? Yes, I just had the screws off so I could take the cover. Okay. Then there was this one here, which looks a lot like a J&M, but 
you know, there's, there's no, you know, obviously if this was printed on there, you'd probably see it somewhere. So this might've been somebody who just used one of these metal cases, but uh, when you take it off, um, it's actually a uh, performance peripherals, a DMC controller. Um, and it does have the switch uh, wired into it. And it has two ROMs in here. And let me zoom in here. Wait, you said performance peripherals DMC? Yes. That's the uh, caching no-hold controller one at eight or a 32K cache. Yes. Yep. Let's see. Let me zoom in a little bit so you guys can read this here. There we oh, go. Look at look at the bodge wires. Yeah, <laughs> there is some nice bodge wires going around in here. Um, so this here is just uh, the regular uh, uh, RS DOS, but this was kind of interesting. L uh, kill off, and there was a sticker on the outside of it that I, I have off to the side here because it had some other information on there. But the L was for Lee Lee kill off. Alan, are you still on? Is Alan on or did he step off? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So Alan and I were talking about this and um gonna do some more digging though. Um might even try to reach out to the person. But uh do you remember what you what you found there about Lee? He was uh if if well, it's the same guy. If it's the same I, guy. When I searched Lee Kilo DOS, um what I got back was a whole pile of references to the game Doom. And apparently uh, he worked on some of the graphics engine for Doom and a bunch of modification programs for Doom levels and things like that. And uh, there were some interviews with John Romero talking about how smart the guy was and all kinds of stuff. If it's the same guy, it would be very interesting to find that he had, um, you know, had a cocoa and was modifying the heck out of it and then went on to, you know, work on doom and stuff. That'd be neat. So yeah. Uh, well, that was a lot of guys back in the day took uh, and made their own DOS using a DOS. So I just wonder if that's, you know, a lot of people put their name on there and they make yeah, it. Cause you can customize it. Their DOS. Yeah. Yep. It, and I'll, did, that's what I'm going to show you here in a second. Yeah, I'm going to show you, you that in a minute. That's the next thing. So, okay. Yep. So let me go ahead and throw this cover back on here and let me switch. Uh, so, yeah, we have yep. more investigating to do to see if it really is. <laughs> it really Same is. Guy. Yeah. Be kind of an interesting little footnote if it was. No sign. It's no sign, Al. Right. <laughs> so here's the J&M controller. I'm going to show you that one first. And nothing really special here. It just has a color basic 2.0. So oh, I was so kind of hoping have JDOS. That's, that's yeah. I was hoping that would have the JDOS. Now I do have one that has JDOS, but that's what I was kind of hoping for. And this just had the just someone just burned a ROM there for the 2.0. So nothing special about it. But when I see a no label ROM like that, I always kind of interest me. You know what might what might have been out there. So anyway, that's yeah, the cool one. one JDOS had the option of having the memory minder built into the ROM too, a 16k ROM, and that was the mm -hmm. one you used with those Dyson. Um, yeah. discs that were specially used to check alignments and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I got one of those. And wh which one is that again, Curtis? Where we? Oh, that's JDOS, Dyson. uh the 16K version, because it has the entire memory minder uh, disc diagnostic. Okay. You hit, you hit break or something, and a, and a menu comes up. 
Yeah. Okay. And it's actually requires a special disc that you can't duplicate with uh, even like grease weasels and stuff. From what I understand, you have to have this manufactured by Dyson for testing right. alignment and all kinds of things. Yep. And I have a couple of those discs. That's why I was kind of asking because uh, maybe I'll uh, look at getting one of those set up there so I can use those discs a little more effectively. Okay. So here's the uh, here's that that keel off one. Let me go ahead and get that one in here. So there was two ROMs in there, as I mentioned. Let's see here, get this all the way in there. There we go. So with the switch in one position, uh, we get this here. So it's what you'd probably- The 1.1 1 .1 disk basic. Yep, yeah. the 1.1 disk basic. So let me turn it off. And then here's what, here's his custom ROM. So it boots up into uh, a black screen with white text. And I believe this was actually made specifically for the Color Computer 3, because this is what this is in. It's in width 40 mode. With 80, actually. 80. 80. Yeah, yeah look, so at, that, look could... at that clear 80 column text. Yep. Do uh, control down arrow C. Do you don't have anything in the drive, do you? Or, you, don't, you know, I don't have a drive. I don't or, have a drive. Or type in cat, at, C-A-T. Enter. Okay. okay. So if you had a disk and it uh, would do a sideways like uh, do a sideways like uh, dir slash w dir slash w. We get an echo again. Yep. I have no floppy drive hooked up to this run. I gave you a syntax error anyway. Right. So this so, is not uh, an ADOS derivative then because it doesn't have the ADOS language extensions. Okay. I like how it says disk extended color basic three point two. Yes, right. the, the three yeah it has it has the three point two on there and then it has uh, by Lee uh, keel off there. So, so what we might have done? to get you to dump the ROM in that thing. I, I already did. I pulled that this morning. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, Tim Liner, I was going to send it to him. He has a he was going to use a comparator to kind of compare and see because it looks like he modified because it says the Microsoft and Mal and uh, uh, Microware systems there. Yeah, but like Ron had the right idea to try some of the ADOS 3 commands because you were allowed to customize the boot screen in ADOS 3 or ADOS 3 extended all you want. Mm -hmm. But some of the commands that he built into ADOS are not working. You just got a syntax error. So right. it's not an ADOS 3 derivative, then it's something else. But he doesn't have any drives hooked up. Yeah, well, but it wouldn't know okay. that. It, it still should have went out and tried to find it. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be a syntax error. It might give you like an iAware or something, but it, yeah. it doesn't even recognize the command cat doesn't exist. Did it use cat or duh? ADOS? Yeah. Cat. ADOS used cat. ADOS did both. Yeah. Oh, uh, cat was a multi-column one, wasn't it, Ron? Yeah, it's to go sideways, like TIR slash W on a... Yeah, so you get multiple columns of file names. Right. It also had commands like fast and slow for changing the CPU speed and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and if you burned it, you could burn it so that uh, your drives work faster. Yeah, like six millisecond track, yeah. track, double speed poke built in. So oh, welcome, Amy, in the chat. Boy, you must be bored today. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. So like I said, I yep. might uh, see if I can't reach out to the guy and if he's still around and uh, maybe uh, might might find he's the, the same. Yeah, and we'll have to bug Tim because I'm really curious what this ROM is based on now. Now, you said this was in the DMC controller. That's the Sardis performance yeah. profiles one? Hmm. Oops here. Now here's what a regular JDOS one might look at right here. So Yeah, I had 1.2 and I still had my JM controller, but that's way, way back. I don't have it anymore. 
Let's see here. Now let me switch cameras here. What else are I going to show you guys here? Okay. One last thing to share. Let me uh, go here. Get this out of the way. There we go. Move this. Need to make a little bit of room here. You can go right there. Okay. So I got another another big box. There we go. So here's the box that it came in. You guys all recognize those. Let me uh, get inside this box here. Now that we have the boring screen up there of just my uh, simulated wood grain. We can yes. see it's an simulated 80 or grain. a hooter. <laughs> it's a genuine 80s scene. Genuine, genuine imitation wood grain. Mm -hmm. There we go. So, nice yeah, so a 4K computer here, uh, Color Computer 1 here with uh, this keyboard. That's the main reason why I got it there. Does uh, anybody recognize that model of keyboard? No. Yes, that is the uh, Micronics. Uh, their first one, the Professional, I think. The Professional, yep. Let me go ahead. Because it has the, the, uh, the function keys in really weird spots. Yeah. <laughs> They later did another version uh, for an extra 10 bucks that actually repositioned the keys to be more standard Coco style, but still had the extra four. Oops. Come on. Walk off. It's here. got a rainbow colored banner. There we go. Rainbow colored ribbon cable. Yeah. Yeah. Microtron. Oh, okay. Microtron. And I believe this, like you said, this is the professional one, which had the. Uh, which had these keys here. I think the other one then had a, another set of keys over here, if I remember right. The the other one. Yeah, they repositioned with. things to be in you know the proper places because here they kind of shoved a few keys sideways that screwed people up. Like the brake key has an extra key between it and the next one, so people were hitting F one all the time instead of brake. And yeah, yeah, the yeah the F one and the F two <laughs> over there. So, but it's a, again, it's a heavy keyboard. Um, it's a, a circuit board, metal frame, and then the keys. You can see them there. There's they're. they're they're Key snapped into frames. holes that would be uh, on the on the uh, the metal frame. Would that be mechanical or still have a membrane? No, That's they're mechanical, mechanical. I'm pretty sure. Mechanical, yeah. These are individual switches. These are about eighty bucks when they first came out, and they came out in late '82, like the fall. And it was the very first official uh, replacement keyboard third party for the Coco that I remember seeing. The HGLs and stuff didn't come out for another year or so. So yeah, this is a this is one of them that I didn't have. So that was the main reason why I picked this uh, this particular color computer up that was out listed out there was to was to grab the the keyboard. So you used to have full page ads, and they used to have a, a girl that worked there that would you know model them up, and her name they did. But they said like order yours from Josie today or something like that. That was part yeah. of their ad campaign. <laughs> I'm not sure if I <laughs> saved it. I, I know what ad you're talking about. Yeah, I looked it up there, and uh, yeah, it, it it has a it has a girl, and she's uh, she's holding. Uh, I'm not sure if she's holding just the keyboard or if she's holding a Coco with the keyboard in there. I think the Coco with the keyboard in it, if I remember. <laughs> no one yeah. And then they had the two the versions, $10 difference. One would have the wacky keyboard layout, and the other one would be more standard, and they charge you an extra 10 bucks just to move the keys back to where they were in the first place. And the the ad looks like it was like a copy, and then they put it on the copy machine and made a copy and then made another copy because it's so washed out, it's hard to see any detail. You have to really – you really can't even see the keys – the only way I could kind of tell that was this one was kind of you could kind of make out the, the keys here, but it basically was just the arrangement of the keys was the only thing. And then, of course, mm -hmm. then once I 
because I was trying to figure out which one it was before I purchased it on uh, online. But then after I saw this, and that confirmed it there. But yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. No, Taiwan. Made in Taiwan. All the good stuff is made in Taiwan. Right, right. So anyway, so. Oh, yeah. uh, Mark, Mark Siegel saying um, in the in the chat here, not official RS to not sell. I do not mean officially RS so that I just meant it was officially a replacement keyboard for the Coco. Because before that, people were hacking in Model 1 keyboards and even Model 3 keyboards and Mare keypad as a project where you'd cut the case apart and, you know, mount it and do all this custom wiring. This is the first one that was sold, ready to go to the consumer. That's what I meant. Right. Not not that it was sold by Radio Shack. It never was sold by Radio Shack. First third party keyboard. Yeah. The first fully assembled, ready to go keyboard that you didn't have to like, you know, right? It, it, solder finished, from hell. Right, a finished yeah. product, not something that you hacked in there. That was just yeah. a drop in, re yeah, you, drop in re third party replacement. They replaced this little cable right here. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the old D &E board one, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. The, you really um, need a good keyboard to program. Yeah, the pins 4K. that come out to the motherboard. So yep, yeah, that this just drop yeah, right this in. Is a, it's an e board. Yes, it is. Yeah, so it just dropped yep. right in. And the other thing too that um, you probably saw some cables kind of stuffed in here. So I guess just kind of as a side, as a side note, um, this does have a. Uh, oops, there it is. It has a it has a composite um, video. It has these really small little wires. This was actually one that was manufactured. This wasn't uh, like a user built one because I've seen some of the other ones like this. They have these real small, uh, multicolored uh, wires that go and tap in down below, and then here's your audio, and then you got the two jacks. Uh, coming out of it. So, did you fire this up? Not yet. No. Uh -uh. Do you think it's uh, upgraded? You don't think it's, it's 4K still, do you? No, no, it is not. It's not 4K. I think I saw the jumpers on this one here. It had already been jumpered up to, I think, maybe 64. Okay. I think by the e-boards, they didn't make 4K machines anymore. Because my my thought was, why have a, a new keyboard on there if you got 4K and you're you're no, yeah, e-boards were only sold to 16 and 32k though 32 was really 64 kind of well unless i don't know because I, I was just going off the label up here this is it said 4k on it oh okay yeah because oh no wait sorry the e-board did a 416 32 didn't it bob i don't remember really but the I d was think... 4 and 16 only yeah what's the, the what's... e i think was 4 16 32 and the f was 1664 i think i'm getting it mixed up what's the 26 number still, there were still people paying for them they would sell them Well, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I was just going to zoom number in a little on bit the, here. What's the number on the chip? These here, the silver ones, yeah, or the yep. gold ones. Or the gold ones here, yeah. It's an it's an MCM uh, sixty six sixty four. All right, yeah, it should be sixty four then. Sixty four K. Yeah, and the jumpers are all set here, um, on the sixty four side of things. Oh, so it does say sixty four in there? Well, I believe well, it was, or is it thirty two? See, it's hard to say. Like some of the spots say. This here, that's four and sixteen. This jumper here says sixteen, or maybe it's only maybe it's upgraded to thirty-two. Yeah, 32. Well, that my the, mistake. Yeah, but the um, that the e boards were the ones where you had the half good sixty fours. That's why you got okay. the high low jumper. But there was a procedure to to upgrade that to sixty four. Yeah. Okay. A lot of my friends did that one. Yeah, and you'll see that the high low jumper is empty. Right there next to the uh, uh, PIA and the little chip. Oh, okay, so that's how you know it's open. Yeah, is, it, is all that three... the same one that Jump sometimes right the whole thing was good? 
Yeah. You talking uh, about this jumper right here, Mark? Yeah, so if that jumper's gone, then it's likely have been upgraded to 64. I don't know if you can see this or not, but instead of a jumper, there's I'll actually a jumper. wire. It's a wire that's been soldered on uh, across the two pins as if there was a jumper there. The two outside pins or the, is the middle pin involved? Um, the middle pin is involved, and it's on the low side. Okay, so that one may be just set up as a 32, but you can sh – yeah, investigate it further. You might find you actually have uh, 64, but it may only be reporting 32 right now. Okay. So you're saying unjumper that, and if it works and you have 64, then you're No, good. there's more to it than that. There's, there's, there's a whole there. tech molding on it. Is that a resistor there across the big chip? Look at those right barge here? wires. No. No, the other right side. Yeah. yeah. Here it is, yeah. Yeah, above <laughs> this one. Yeah, that is a resistor that's, uh, that's there, so it's kind of bent over, so I'll get... Run Neutroid on it. Neutroid okay. reloaded. There Mark you go. Siegel said if it has a cage, it shouldn't be a 64K. Can you see the board rev on it? By the cartridge port there? Yeah, uh, I can see it's an E. It's up an e. by the uh, cartridge slot. Dash E at the end of that number. Dark there. Focus. Now that could be any letter of the yeah, alphabet. There. Can be anything you want to can, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's not wanting to focus it's, in there, but uh, it's fuzzy. Yeah, it's not wanting to come in there, but yeah, it's an E. It's like it's not focusing on anything. No. <laughs> it, it was better when it was further out. Right. There we go. Now it focused on something. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, the main thing was the, the keyboard, but uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to power this one up yet. I, I will. Just haven't had the opportunity yet Is there anything else anybody wants to see about it yeah what's the 30, 26 number on the back the 26 number on the bottom mm -hmm. the catalog number oh, should, should yeah the be, serial uh, number is 26 and, and the serial number it's a 3001 and the serial number is 49,270 so so if yeah, I recall, so 3001 started off as a 4K. Right. It's early. So it's, it's been which is why the badge still says it, which means I'm guessing this would have been a third-party upgrade because wouldn't have Tandy replaced the little RAM badge Yeah. if they upgraded it? Yeah. They did on my friend's e-boards that uh, got upgraded 32. There was never a 64 little square thing, was there? No. no. Not that I know of. No. Uh, that same badge was also used on the models 3 and 4. Uh, so they made 64 and 128s that fit those machines. But did they ever put, officially put a 64 in a Coco? I don't remember seeing that. I don't else. think so. Uh, let me look on mine. I just remember seeing four 16 and 32s. Right. Yeah, mine's got a 64K badge. But did you do that yourself because you worked there and you could steal them? <laughs> uh, no, I inherited this one like this. Oh, Badges? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're I've never, I've never seen one badge. up here in Canada. Maybe we didn't do it in Canada. Then. I don't know. Well, he, 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 who I inherited this from, also worked at Radio Shack. Ah, the, oh, this wow. is an American version. He was in the bench next to me. No further questions, Your Honor. Okay. And also uh, in the chat, Sixty is pointing out that they're not all two six dash. Um, numbers on Coco's. Some of the European right. ones are two six fives. Okay, like the like the uh, C cams. Yeah. 
or Peritel, I think they call them. I do have one thing I can show you real quick on a comical note, if you guys want to. Sure. Only because only because it's a, this will take just two minutes. I wanted to show you what an eighteen hundred dollar Coco Three looks like. No, oh, was that the one that was on eBay for eighteen hundred bucks? <laughs> no. Yep, this is what an eighteen hundred dollar Coco Three looks like. You you bought that for eighteen hundred? Uh, have, have you been watching Facebook, Ron? <laughs> I saw it, but I didn't okay. think it ended. Uh, I think I think we need to have an intervention. Were there gold <laughs> bars inside? So anyway, on the, on the bottom of this thing here, wow. if you look at the listing, there's there's a, a listing out on eBay right now. And there's a lot of speculation as to why it is. The, the bidding started at $300. And this thing has climbed all the way up to $1,800. And there's some people have some theories as to maybe what's going on. And it's probably not, not legit. but Or mental illness, you, one of the two. Right, yes. <laughs> and this is what this is, is the Coco 3. This is the Canadian version of it. So yeah, it has I can recognize the, the French. Yep. So you got the French on there. You got everything's uh, kind of duplicated. And it says even down here about, uh, you know, for, you know, that it was, you know, for Canada and stuff like that. But uh, um, this one's obviously not in mint condition as the one out on eBay, um, you know, states. This one here is a little bit yellowed. But like the one on eBay, I, I'm not going to bring the box up here. But the box was kind of cool because it was a taller box than your regular Coco 3 box. Um, does that uh, have taller... a mesh under the grid? Yes, under it the does. Yep, it has the mesh right here. Yep. Oh, okay. It was kind of hard to see from the from there. Yep. I take the cover off, but the lab, the warranty label has not been broken on this one. So, so it's it's quite yellowed. It's probably going to stay that way for a while. Um, needs a little bit of a uh, cleaning up though. Um, but the boxes on these were kind of neat. They were it was a taller box. It actually had some foam around the outside of the box, and the manuals sat flat in the box. And then there was another sheet of uh, styrofoam that went over that then the cocoa sat on top of it so the box is about an inch inch and a half taller than your regular cocoa three box but um i i you know i tell you if someone is actually legitimately and if there's no shenanigans going on with this uh listing um and someone pays eighteen hundred dollars for it i certainly like to have them step forward and explain why they I got, I got, i've got a bridge in manhattan <laughs> I, I got two questions well, for you so um, when if you buy a, a color computer three and it's been upgraded at the factory, wouldn't they put a uh, you know an, a, a warranty sticker back on it? And sometimes don't they put it over top of the old one, or sometimes don't they take the old one off and just put another black one on? Well, they would though, but I'm not sure. Did I don't think did Tandy ever factory upgrade Coco threes to five twelve? Yeah, they didn't sell them as 512s, but they would do the upgrade. Yeah, but they sent them off to the repair center for upgrades. They didn't do that at the factory. We had a we had a no. we had a um, computer center in um, Rochester, and they did them when they put you know the Tandy AXX whatever it was said on there Tandy um, 512 in it, and they would put the sticker back on, wouldn't they? We had. Well, uh, did you look inside and see if I mean, this That's, that's kind of the stickers. point. I've never seen a 512K upgrade that had a regular part number. They were all that AIXX or yeah. AXX number. They weren't right. regular. So that kind of implies that there never really was a regular 512K Coco 3. Right. It had to always be upgraded, right? You had the special part that would make it that, but there never was one, was there? I mean, no. Yeah. 
So mm. yeah, this was I'm just kind of do a little bit of a spoof. So Ron, no, I did not pay eighteen hundred dollars for the <laughs> three. I just this is the same model as what's listed out there. Um, it's not actually and, yellowed either, is it? No, the one that's listed out there is it, it honestly is in good shape. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. If there's somebody truly right. you know, <clears throat> bidding that high on the on the Coco three, it must be something that they really want or uh, maybe they feel that it's a, a rare machine. Um, so I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I guess uh, just to soapbox a little bit, if somebody is paying that kind of money, all it's doing is skewing the prices for Coco 3s, which have already kind of gone crazy. Right. I mean, it, you're, it's, you're, it's regularly now you're seeing Coco 3s for three, 350. I've seen a bidding the other day went on, went up to 450 on one. Um, and uh, so, and you can, but anyway. You can see it from right? the seller side because you get hundreds of free listings a month. So throw it out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, don't buy it. Hey, Brian, got, got Mark, some. offered to assign this one for you. Yeah, I was just going to mention that there because that, that might make it worth eighteen hundred. Oh, that'll make it eighteen hundred bucks. Well, <laughs> he also right mentioned now. that the first Coco Three prototype costs a lot more than that. I'm assuming he's talking about the gigantic board that was at Microware that I think Mark Barlett has now. Okay, that had the that built-in floppy controller, etc. Oh, nice. And the gimme well, made up that... of a bunch of chips because it wasn't a gimme yet. Now that you said that one's a little yellowed, Brian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so it's not eighteen hundred. I'm thinking more like seventeen fifty. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Knock off a little bit for the <laughs> yeah. for the. It, it, it's scuffed along oh, here a little 1749, bit. Seventeen forty nine. Yeah. Not a yeah. yeah. So it's gonna need some. It, yeah. Need some body work on it. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, low mileage though. But it just needs some body work though. Low mileage. Just, so. a, <laughs> just a little old woman at church on Sundays. <laughs> right. is, is the one online uh, Canadian too? Yes. Yeah. This is oh, that's why I brought okay. this one out is because this oh, okay. is this is the model that you, that is listed out there and stuff like that. So, and I'm embarrassed to say it's being sold from BC. <laughs> oh, Ken, you're trying to make some money here, are you? Well, as long as it's not, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I've got two <laughs> right? Coco threes. I only really need one. <laughs> also, no Mark Siegel. So, yeah. So anyway. So yeah, I, like I guess I just thought I'd make a little bit of a funny out of it though. But uh, but there's a little bit of a serious note side to it as well. But. Uh, I, it's uh, just kind of odd to see it, see that kind of a listing out there. So, but uh, we'll find out the, uh, the auction ends today. So if anybody wants to bid on it, uh, you don't have much time. Is it uh, pretty much, can you conclude that all the um, Canadian ones had the cloth underneath the, uh, the mesh underneath the grill? Yeah. Yes. That, that was that mandatory. Seemed, yep. That's a, a common thing that you see with them. That's, uh, to get CSA approval, which is our equivalent of the, I think it's CSA, uh, to get the equivalent of the FCC approval in Canada, you had to have that shield. That's how you couldn't stick all those Canadian pennies in there. What about right. Coco Twos? I believe they did. I any think so. I don't have one. Ken, do you know if uh, Coco Twos had the mesh? I don't I have any Canadian ones, I don't think. Do I? I thought Chains was. Uh, well, let me go check. So, but anyway. I, I never had a Coco two. I, I jumped straight from the one to the three. So, really, you never had one? No, nope. my one was running fine. So, already upgraded sixty four k and stuff. So, why would I replace it? Plus, it was running my BBS. So I couldn't really take it offline. <laughs> but why does anybody do anything? I was busy buying drives and stuff like that. So, are we just? Are, Ken was going to go check something here real quick. So. Yeah, he's going to check to see if Shane McDonald's Coco 2 that he's got, that we'll be talking about in a little bit here, that he inherited, uh, if it has the mesh in it. Oh, okay. 
I'm on my so, edge, anyway, edge of my seat. And like I said, I'm not one. trying to offend anybody. If there's somebody truly out there that's bidding on that on that one, there, I'm not trying to offend anybody. It was just kind of a uh, an oddity to see that. But congratulations on being rich. I would say that <laughs> there is no mesh on my Canadian Coco too. Okay. Okay. So I was introduced in three then. So it's illegal unless you took it out to fit all the upgrades. <laughs> So did no, three it doesn't have look a... like anything's been done to the case. So, did okay. did the threes have more electrical um, circuit things going on that it would cause uh, them to mandate that, or just the change? Gimme, in... You know, it might no, it might have been just a case of where laws changed and they had to stay compliant. Right. Yeah, probably. Right. It was meant for you know prevent stuff from getting you know dumped into it that was metal and might short and spark up or something. I'm guessing. Hmm. If Frank was in the chat, I think he he's actually discussed it before. He's aware of what the law change was, so he might actually know. So it must have been for other computers, too, the head fence. Yeah, so Mark says new CSA rules. David Croker says his Canadian Cocoa 2 does not have the mesh. Okay, so that must have been new when the Cocoa 3 came out. Late then. 80s, it happened. I've never seen a Canadian Cocoa 3 that does not have the mesh. So, hmm. Well, thank you for letting me share, guys, today. Yep. Now, Mark's saying, uh, uh, Mark Siegel's saying, uh, and TUV as well. What is TUV? I think it, I think that's right before QRS, or right after QRS. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Canadian version of the uh, United Laboratories? Could be the I Quebec. Have, I have no idea. Maybe Toronto has their own governing body. For yeah, that they probably too. think. German. Yeah, they, they they think they're their own country, so it could be. Oh, German, <laughs> German. Yeah. Yeah, but the Coco Three is never sold in Germany, so. Coco Two was. It was only sold in Australia, Canada, and the States. Though Julian Brown's agreeing, German standards mark. So. Maybe they had to implement it in Coco Two's there late in Coco Two's life. I don't know. The umlaut. Didn't the uh, serial number, wasn't it a lot longer on the American ones than the Canadian ones? It seemed like they had more I digits. I think they were all six and seven six digits, seven. weren't they? I can't remember which, which one of the two, but one of those. Coco ones were five digits, if I remember. Yeah. Originally. And Coco okay. two's, like I said, I don't know. Hmm. All right, we're ready for commercial break and then game on? Sure. Yep. Okay, but right, right before you get into game oh, on, yeah. I'll, I'll announce those two shows. So after the commercial break. Okay. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, 
Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? M. Sly says, Hello. My name is Michael Sly. I just recently got back into the TRS-80 world after a 35-year absence. I got my first TRS-80 Model 1 back in 1979 and pretty much stayed with it until 1987 when I moved into the dreaded IBM space, uck, over the past 6 months, I now own several Model 1s in various state of functionality, a Model 3, and three Coco 2s. B plus says, name, Mark, avatar name is B plus. System, closest retro experience I have is GW Basic on 8088 from 1989. I recently started using Discord and apparently one channel leads to another. I learned of this place from TRS Eric who heads the Basic channel. Micro Hobbyist says, hi everyone, I'm Frederick. I love retro computing in general, and I have a special spot for Tandy. I started collecting vintage items and computers pre-pandemic. I now enjoy building retro homebrew computers. I started a little YouTube channel showing my creations. Astrobleem says, Howdy folks. It's Chad D. I love Tandy and Radio Shack computers. I have a Tandy 1000EX and a Coco 3. DJoss underscore 500 says, Hi all, I'm Derek O. Some of you might know me as one of the mods from the large Radio Shack Facebook group, and creator of various adapters for the Tandy 1000 line of computers. I'm fairly new to the Coco. I got given an empty Coco 3 shell with keyboard before COVID, and built it into a Coco Pi 3. P.S. I'm an Aussie living in Melbourne. Nerf Herder says, I am Jamie from Melbourne, Australia. I have a Dragon 32 and Coco 1, 2 and 3, all PAL models, but I'm into most 8-bit retro computers. I mainly enjoy gaming on them and enjoy comparing games across different 8-bit systems. Richard A. says, Hello, Richard A., into Sinclair, Commodore, Atari, MSX and Tandy computers. Mostly like hacking the hardware a bit, writing assembler to make it do unusual stuff. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Okay, before we go into the uh, Game On uh, Challenge results, uh, Curtis, you have uh, some upcoming events to announce, right? There. I've got I think I've got one of them up on the screen here. I got it here too, so <laughs> So the first one is the first ever first Bay Area Tandy Assembly meetup. So this is kind of a branch off of Tandy Assembly. 
this is being done as an experiment to see if they're going to get enough interest to actually have a full-blown show in the future, sort of a Tandy Assembly West. And uh, there's a couple of updates actually uh, to this. So you can see on the screen here, it's uh, November 4th, 2023, between 2 and 5 p.m. So it's just a meetup for this first one, hosted at San Francisco State University. There's a QR code you can use to sign up. Uh, they've got some guests already listed. So they got Arthur Gleckler, who's the author of the game Weird on the Tier City Model 1 and 3. Uh, Lawrence Kestalut, author of Tears Tools, Tim Mann of XTRS, Michael Wessel of Talker 80, and Arno Puder is also the organizer of the event uh, of Tears IO and Pocket TRS. I've also just gotten notified by uh, Mikey, Michael Furman, that he's going to be doing a lightning talk about Coco Flex as well at the show, and he's attending, obviously. So uh, maybe we can get a follow up from him after we see how the show went. Um, but yeah, it's it's their first uh, shot at it. They got over 20 people, I think. Let me get the exact quote here, because Arno actually just posted an update. And I'll just read it verbatim. <clears throat> we are getting ready for the first Tandy Assembly meetup here in the Bay Area. Over 20 Tier City enthusiasts have already signed up, and we are looking forward for the get-together in two weeks from now. We will have a round of lightning talks where people can talk about their favorite machine, which is going to include Mikey's Flex one. Some will bring their vintage hardware. I will keep everyone posted on this channel. Exciting. So I, I, I'm assuming you can still sign up if you do the QR code thing if you're in the San Francisco area and or can get there during the time period of November the 4th. Uh, but it looks like it's already got, you know, over a couple or at least a couple dozen people going to it. So that's that's a good good start, I think. So look forward to this becoming a full fledged show in the future. And then the next one after that I've got is the Vintage Computer Festival SoCal, which is Southern California. And that's at the Hotel Fira. I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The event center in Orange County in California, 100 the City Drive. And that's a, an actual you know official VCF event. I know that Wayne Campbell is in the area fairly close, so he's going to see if he can possibly attend. I don't know if anybody else will be able to. But uh, nice to get a few Cocoa people out to that one, I think. So that's the two I have for now. I mean, obviously, we've got some other ones like our own Cocoa Fest stuff coming up in the first week of May of next year, but I'm not putting those in quite yet. Okay. Thank you. Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Dungeon Raid. We had a total of 17 players, and they were C. Duris with 28.25, Sloopy Malibu 29.50, Coconut Bob 3200, Exile in Paradise 3500, Mr. Dave 6309, 3550. Mark O, 3725. David Ladd, 5850. Canadian Retro Things, 7250. Shenley, 7925. Ed Rhodes, 8775. Nerf Herder, 12525. Jim Rye, 13400. Sabhead, 14375. L. Curtis Boyle, 16475. Buck Owens, 22,250. Tasman, 29,600. And this week's number one score belongs to... 
Buck. Oh. Kieran with 32,050. <laughs> Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. Not surprising that a European placed first in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question, though. Is Nerf Herder scruffy? I have no idea. He just like joined the Discord. So... Yes, yes. <laughs> we all get your Star Wars reference. Yes, yeah. Star <laughs> Wars reference. Um. Yeah, so I don't have any articles on that because uh, I... Um, yeah, the, the game was only released in Europe, so uh, there's none of the American magazines that I'm used to have any articles about it. Although I did see one thing that was interesting in an ad for it. It's available for the Tandy color computer um, 16K and the Dragon 32, so... There was a Tandy version of it, but it just was over in Europe because they spelled color right. But, uh, yeah, so with that game, it was definitely a European-style pixel-perfect game where everything in the game kills you. And I mean absolutely everything. Including your own shots. Yeah, your own shots can kill you, the explosions kill you, the bad guys kill you, the walls kill you. There's a timer that kills you that if you take too long. <laughs> so it was uh yeah, a bit of a difficult game. I'm actually surprised we actually got 17 people uh submitting scores for it. Um but uh yeah, Curtis did uh, do an optimized version of it that for the 6309 that uh runs a little smoother just basically means you can die faster isn't that what we all want yeah absolutely <laughs> die smoothly just end the game quicker we can move on to the next game please ain't go away i mean it's actually honestly we did talk about it last week and i think it's actually probably a really good game that if you got rid of the, your own explosions killing you would make it a hundred times more playable. Um, Get on that, Curtis. Yeah. And when Curtis mm -hmm. optimized it for the 6309, I was hoping he would do something about that, but he didn't. because <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that at the time because that would allow people to quote-unquote cheat to get a high score. And uh, that might have okay, upset yeah, Karen, there, there. so I didn't want to do that. That's a good reason. Good enough. Yeah, there we go. But uh, so does that mean that you're going to optimize it so the explosions don't kill you? I, I could, but <laughs> I've got some other optimizations I'm working on, like Lucifer's Kingdom right now. So, <laughs> by the way, I found a review of it in, in uh, Dragon User. If you want me to show it, oh sure. Okay, let me get my screen shared. I was trying to look up to see if there's any way I could street, uh, search Dragon User uh, magazines. But... I sent you that RTF file that has all of the Dragon User, every single review they did of games, didn't I? Oh, uh, probably. You'll have to probably send it to me again, though. It probably got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, because I've even got stuff like Byte Reviews and Creative Computing and Compute and stuff, too, because they reviewed some oh. games back in the day, too. Unfortunately, Creative Computing, I can't find most of the issues, so that one I can't really do much with. But I've got all the Dragon User, even some of the Dragon newsletters and stuff. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I have access to those. I just don't have the search 
stuff. So, yeah, I just searched this test document. I don't include Rainbow in there because it has its own index separate, but they publish themselves. I just researched that one, but everything else I've got in this listing Color Computer News, Color Computer Magazine, Odd Coco. So, I'm thinking when Ken Kalish made this game, he was designing it to be a quarter munching game, but uh, forgot that it doesn't, you don't have to put quarters in it. I, I don't know, like Dungeon Raid is one of the two he did exclusively for the UK market. That's when he made yeah. the deal with, with Microdeal. And like he's, he's mentioned in the, I, the interview that I did with him 23 years ago, um, they were much friendlier to him. He he much preferred working with them than any of the dealers he worked with in, in North America, including Tom Mix, Screenplay, Med Systems. He just said he got treated better. So he might have been persuaded to go for a game in the European vein, which is basically almost impossible to play because <laughs> <laughs> that just seems to be their tradition there, no matter what platform you're on. So I don't know if it was like he meant it to be a quarter munching game or if he was <laughs> kind of told, you know, the market here will not accept anything that's you, you, you can easily survive. <laughs> But they gave Either it three dragons out of five, so they didn't even give it that huge of a, a rating. Yeah. And part of that might have been the price, because you'll notice like Pogo Stick there, which is uh, that Qbert clone in Semigraphics 24, which looks really awesome, was only £3.95. This was £8, so this is like a fairly expensive game on top of it. I'm wondering if they had to pay any kind of royalties to... Um, uh, River Raid for it or to use the uh, idea. Yeah. I mean, the the review here that it, it it's not really a good review per se. It basically explains what the game is, what yeah. it has for features and doesn't really, except for the three dragon rating at the bottom, it doesn't really say what's good or bad about it. So it's more of a synopsis than a review. Yeah. But I mean, the rating systems is the one thing they do have. Like this other game here is only one. What was that one? Snow Queen. They're not impressed with Snow Queen. Oh, look. One, two, one. So three is pretty good. There's a four for Pogo Stick. But then back to two. So these yeah. are stats, I think. Yeah. It was £3.95. So <laughs> the price might have played into that too. Right. Yeah. But where, that, that's why I wish they kind of given you a reason for like why they gave it the rating they did. Because you know, if it was basically they thought it was a four dragon game, except the fact it cost twice as much as everything else available. But it was two out of the six games they reviewed, second out of the six games they reviewed. So that's not bad. I mean, yeah. yeah. It scored well by their scoring. We're, but just look at some of the other ones. Nobody can ever get five, right? Here's Caterpillar two. Did. That was eight pounds too. And that was on, uh, you know, that's a Tom Mix game. That's their second version of Caterpillar Attack. That one got four. Four uh, dragons. I'm police. I don't even know. Five dragons. Oh, there's a five dragon. Okay. Yeah, caterpillar is five dragons. It can be done. Yeah. And it's eight. Like I said, eight pounds as well. And telepath is seven. So time police seven ninety five. So it's not that out of touch with what other games cost. Yeah, I mean it scored mm -hmm. slightly above average, I guess, or above the middle ground. Yeah. I don't know if they did half dragons. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's not a bad game. It's just so impossible to survive that you get kind of you get. It's a game that gets frustrating. The if you just play it a few times, you get so frustrated that 
you're hardly making any progress in it because it's so difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you totally. Like the one thing I would change if I was going to take the time to figure out where it is and change it would be to remove depth by the explosion that you when you hit something. Yeah. Um, the timer I would leave in. I would leave in, you know, all the various other ways you can hit walls and die. You can hit the creatures and die. Which makes um, sense. Yeah. But, but if you're from the UK, if you played that, you go, what a wimpy game. <laughs> <laughs> My own shadow doesn't kill me. <laughs> I mean, Karen probably hasn't played the game in like 20, 30 years. And he still beat all of us. So <laughs> it's a, actually, though, as a uh, European, Karen, what what do, what do you think? Like, uh, if it if you made it so that the uh, explosions didn't kill you, would that become too wimpy of a game for you? Yeah, Karen has one comment. He says, I played a lot of this and buzzard bait on the train into work once X4 ran on the DS. Oh, he has played it recently. Uh -huh. <laughs> 35 plus years. Mm -hmm. So. Anyways, Karen says he thinks he only has the Coco version of it, not the uh, Dragon version of it. Mm -hmm. I know the, the game is good, just a little difficult for us poor yeah. wimpy North Americans that, you know, just aren't insane yeah he says he thinks it's a hard game anyway so even if the explosions didn't kill you it would be still i don't know about the, that because i would say to the european standards of hard I, I would say for my playing it and i didn't do too bad i, I at least broke fifteen thousand, but i i would say my deaths were pretty well 50 percent getting killed by explosions and 50 percent of everything else combined yeah so i would say it's it's that doesn't make it more difficult it makes it more difficult, but like you said, it's still a hard game. So you make the yeah. I mean, you can hit walls, you can hit creatures, and you have the timer to worry about. If you're going slow enough, so you can dodge the creatures without getting hit, then you're running out of time. So you've got enough yeah. on your plate already. You need to make the explosions have varying amounts of damage, so that it isn't fatal every time. There's no damage. You'd have to add a whole mechanic for that then, because it's. Based on anything hits you, you die. <laughs> so, it's dead and not dead. Yep. It's a binary. It's not a analog. I think that's probably why is it's just if the collision routine kicks in, kill player. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if he's just doing to check to see if you know, the player graphics been distorted by a bunch of vertical lines because he basically does this little vertical line spreading Back and forth for the explosions. If, you, if your uh, sprite hits anything that's not black, you're dead. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it did give you some little cheats on your own favor, too, like the fact you could shoot through walls. Yeah. Once you kind of got used to that, and you got, if you, once you learned where the mazes were, we'd have a place where you could shoot through the wall and kill creatures before they become a problem because you haven't got to the door yet. Then, you know, you, you can learn to do that, and that actually does help. And that's the only reason I got over 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh an extremely hard game that has potential <laughs> and because retro gaming i'm not sure if that's boat or aaron or brent says ha welcome to my world those europeans like their games brutal style because <laughs> <laughs> they play spectrum and amiga stuff it's a lot of european games same yeah. problem All right, so uh, yeah, 
it was an interesting game. I'm not sure that I'll pick it up again unless somebody does <laughs> something to it that uh, makes it a little bit easier because you know, I played it yeah. for quite a few times and I really had a spot that I just could never seem to get past. I um, wanted to ask everybody here, <clears throat> for those of you who got a chance to try the 6 through 9 version, I found it actually a little bit easier to play with that because it just, I don't know, it's because it's a little bit smoother. A little or bit, what? yeah. It definitely ran smoother. I didn't give enough time to it to see if I could beat my score from the other version, but it definitely ran smoother and was a little easier to control and get out yeah, of the way. I, I actually found I was doing better. I Like you, I didn't get enough time to like, try to rack up a score, but I played it for about 20 minutes, half an hour. <clears throat> and on average, I seem to be doing better than I did during the actual challenge part, so... Yeah. Because I should I mention too, that... it's been uploaded to the archive. I'm not sure when it's going to show up on there, but it, uh, you'll be able to pick it up there soon. Yeah, 6309 version better. I did uh, find that definitely in the um, original version, sometimes you'd overcommit to trying to move over to shoot something, and then you couldn't get over fast enough to avoid get out of the way of a wall or something. Or Yeah. Scott Cooper says, I found a trick to the game on how not to get killed. Don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> and well, Dad said, I that. like the 639 version better myself. So, so go ahead. Why uh, didn't I think of that? Not to play. I, yeah, I haven't died once. That's the war game defense. Yeah, the best the best choice is not to play or however that was worded. The only way to win is to not to play. Right. Anyway, right, 69 well, version, if you don't want to wait, <clears throat> is on the Discord. Go grab it on the game on Challenge Channel. And it'll be on the archive probably later this week or even this weekend, maybe. There you go. Oh, if, and you not, to, go if you want to if you want to punish yourself, I don't know. <laughs> and if you can beat Kieran's score, you've got, you've got my uh, respect and Absolutely. sympathy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and the other game that we played this week was uh lunar moon patrol which is uh a rehash rover of patrol our, or lunar rover patrol <laughs> rehashing of our most popular game that we played in the past so and uh and why did why did we do that because last tuesday thursday thursday was our 100th episode of the live game on challenge so Congratulations to both you and Sloopy and, and Nick Moroda for getting us that far. And our intern. Don't forget about our intern. Jim Who's Rye. That? Jim Rye. Oh, okay. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> he doesn't get paid either, but you know, he gets credit. Interns never get paid. <laughs> Does he at least get you coffee? I'm waiting. <laughs> I ordered my coffee like six months ago. He still hasn't gotten here with it. Just remember, Jim, good coffee. Ken has high standards. Good coffee. You're going to hate this, Ken. <clears throat> Six, he had just added a comment. He said, I screwed up a lot getting that 30 plus thousand score. I'd forgotten not to shoot myself, for example. Eminently beatable. <laughs> oh, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, the, that's one of the things is that uh, just to mess you up, they throw in a clone. And if you shoot it, you lose a man. Yep. Cool. They just basically throw in one of your one of your men from the top into the maze, and if you kill it, then you die. You've lost that man. So not only hitting your own shadow, but hitting your own reflection kills yep. you. Yep. 
Yep. Perfect. The game is nothing but challenging. <laughs> anyway, so uh, revisiting that—that's which, of course, is a version the uh, um, a version of Moon Patrol, which is uh, a great game in itself. And this is a very faithful version. Yep. So I, I can vouch. Like I used to play the arcade game quite a bit. It was one of the very few arcade games that I was really good at. I could score a quarter million points on and get to like the fourth um challenge course or yeah challenge course it was the arcade name i think is expert course in lunar rover so i i managed to get to the the second course a couple times during the live stream mm-hmm. and it's it's faithful like everything's laid out where it is mines are where they're supposed to be you get the boulders when you're supposed to you get the ship coming behind you at the beginning of the Same expert bad course. guys dropping yeah. things down on you and like it's it's a really faithful clone it's one of the better ones i've seen from any of the platforms to be honest i mean the atari 5200 and atari 400 800 version has all the music and stuff we don't have we just have the little blitz at the beginning but the sh- you know like your rover patrol doesn't look at all correct compared to the arcade it looks completely different and you know some of the the stuff in the maze is not or in the course is not quite laid out in the right way and stuff so we have a really good version there honestly and I do have to say that the first version of this that I ever played was on the Apple II, which I played a lot when I was a kid. And I definitely have to say I like this one better. The Apple II yeah. one is good, don't get me wrong, but this is not just, as good. Ours was yeah. pretty exceptional for a clone. I mean, it was one of the better Coco 3 clo- or Coco clones of any arcade game, honestly. Yeah. So, Top tier. So everybody, go out and play that. 32K, RAM required, and then just Coco 1, 2, or 3 and a joystick. Plus, yeah. the Coco version doesn't even need to have music because when you're playing the game, you're going to hear the music in your head anyway. <laughs> well, it does play little blips of it. Like, it does the right one when you finish the course. It does the right one when you start the course. So it's got its little little bits in there. It just can't do it in the background while you're trying to do two, two plain parallax scrolling and stuff. So No, well, my version has music now. Music in your head? Yep. <laughs> oh, it's the brain sound chip. Yeah, it's it's beaming it straight to your brain, right from the arcade machine. Uh, by the way, David Krager, concerning Dungeon Raid, he, he says in the chat here, Dungeon Raid sounds like pure evil. I should have tried it, but not enough time for games lately. I, hey, I don't know if you're missing much on that one, David. It'll be there Just waiting. because the game is over doesn't mean you can't try it. Yep. Yeah. If you want to lower your self-esteem in a hurry, go ahead. Give it a shot. <laughs> or if you want to, uh, while you're playing another game, if you want to, and you're finding that game frustrating, go play Dungeon Raid <laughs> for about five minutes and go back to the other game, and it'll all of a sudden seem like such so much better. <laughs> I literally did that on the stream on Thursday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Maybe I should try that with Neutroid. You might have to Ooh. play Dungeon Raid a bit longer to get that out of your system, but yeah, that might work. <laughs> Wait, which one are you going to play to to stop being frustrated about which one? Yeah, that, they, yeah that's going to be a vicious infinite loop Nick? circle there. <laughs> All right, I'll, Nick? I'll actually have to say Dungeon Raid, the game that is so difficult and frustrating that it makes Neutroid look good. Yeah, I'd have to agree, actually. Now, there's a tagline for the box. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in quotes from Ken. <laughs> I, I i'm gonna do a caveat here the latest version of neutroid is much much better i'm referring to the older previous versions 
Hey, Ron, have you tried it? <laughs> Ron, Ron bought a copy. I think you were interrupting nap time. You know, stupid. I played on it. Well, you're really quiet, Ron. Was it, are you far from was it easy or hard? Yeah, sorry. I have a fan going. I didn't want the fan to make noise. So what did you say? It's, it's, I'd say it's medium, but you know, I never go very far. I get bored quick, so I move on to something else. But there you I go. played it a while, you know, a little while. So when you first box, buy something, you have to play it. Same with uh, Gunstar. I bought that too at the same time. Gunstar, I think, is better. I agree. Gunstar's exciting. I I think the OK prompt is better. So than the old <laughs> put version, it on the anyway. box. It's Ron approved. Right. Yeah, it's no, much I'm improved. Not, I mean, the, the I problems I had say, with. Oh, Go ahead, Ken. Sorry, I was just going to say I do. I do have to say I'm looking forward to the new version when I pick it up of playing it because it does look muchly vastly improved of uh, the older any versions. of the previous ones. <laughs> well, other than the um, bottle one version, and hook up the big sound system. When yeah, the sound effects it. are really good in the new version. That he went um, all out on that. Yeah, I have a 7.1 system on my machine, and I cranked it up with the emulator and uh, terrorized the whole house for, for <laughs> evening with that. So. Nick, how so, come Alan got the special Dolby 7.1 surround sound version of it, and I only got the mono? How would I hook a 7.1 surround sound system up to my Coco 3? <laughs> cables. Very carefully. <laughs> lots of, lots of cables. <laughs> Bluetooth. Seven oh. of them. No, the sound effects are good. The, the the visual cue of what you're actually doing in the game, which was missing since the Model 1 version, is what really put it over for me. Yeah. Because that just makes my brain wrap around it so much easier. Yeah. Whereas being the able to see versions I just going. Yeah. I almost don't want to play the new version because I get so much mileage out of uh, giving him crap <laughs> over the old one. <laughs> <laughs> and see, Ron put up the superior game up behind him there on the screen. You can see Gunstar. <laughs> and David Craker mentions he's going to try the 609 optimized version challenge accepted of Dungeon Raid. So excellent. Die harder, die faster. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I found I did a bit better with that. So maybe he'll have the same experience. David, try both just, just so you can compare. And Nick, right. I was going to ask you, you're a professional game designer who usually hits it out of the park, except for older versions of Neutron. Um, <laughs> have you tried Dungeon Rain, and what is your take on the difficulty level? No, Do you think I, it's too difficult? I, I haven't tried. I haven't tried it. Oh, okay. But you've watched us playing it. <laughs> you think it's a bit I too watched... unforgiving? I think so. Yeah, it looks a bit unforgiving. And it gets to be annoying if you're always dying. So I thought, yeah, where's the fun in that? Yeah, I agree. That's why I say it's more designed to eat your quarters, but but as Karen said, if you in, practice enough, you can get good at it. So at least in Canada, you can't even stick quarters into your cocoa because there's a screen there. I think that's why they did that. Yep. Somebody brought in Dungeon Raid and they shorted out their machine. They're jamming a quarter every 15 seconds as they after they lost all three lives in that 15 seconds. There you go. Bob Emery's got Neutroid going in. Now, Nick, actually, we should uh, talk about the elephant in the room here. Um, 
you've recently reacquired the domain back from um oh, from my website yeah yes, uh, yes, unfortunately well, the person that had been hosting you for years passed away recently he passed away that's right so and he owned it all and he just gave me free space uh which was great you know it was really good but <laughs> of course he passed away and um and the domain was due for renewal, I think, in December. So well, what are you going to do? Yes, I was going to disappear. So I, um, I was able to track down who the, uh, who the uh, ISP was, and I told them that uh, the fellow that uh, owns this uh, has passed away and uh, uh, probably won't be renewing. And I would like to keep. <laughs> I think it's pretty sure he won't be renewing. Right? I think so. And um, I, th I said, look, I'd like to keep my website up and running uh, uh, with the same name. Uh, so uh, at first they wouldn't let me because you know for security reasons. Oh yeah, sure you are. <laughs> you know you're trying to steal a domain, right? I said, no, it really is mine. It was just being hosted by um, by the other fellow. But anyway, they they finally did checks and said, "Oh yeah, okay, it is yours." Uh, we found, and they is that because uh, your picture me... was on it. <laughs> no, no, my picture was. I forget how they found out, but they did. They did confirm that the fellow had passed away. So they said, "Oh yeah, um, I see his story is right." And anyway, they then offered me, "Well, you, you can take over the domain, and you then look after it and pay for it uh, annually." So I said, yeah, okay, go for it because, um, you know, having to change the domain name is always a hassle. And Anyway, they let me do it and they, they, they did convert it across. So it's up and running again. But when you first log on, it will give you an error message, something to do with the, um, what is it? The, the certificates. Uh, certificates. Security. Certificates. Yeah. Now you can ignore that, just accept it and away it goes. But yeah, I think a lot of people will see it and uh, think, oh, I'm not touching that. That looks dangerous. Right. Probably expired. Uh, but it's, well, yeah, the guy, yeah, that owned, the guy that owned the old SSL certificate is dead. Yes. So now Nick so needs that has, an SSL in his own name. But in yeah, right, right now, when I tried logging in this morning, it said that that certificate expired 700 and some odd days ago. Yes. Like two so, years. Um, yeah, well. So that sort of scares people away. And um, I've contacted the, uh, sent an email to the um, ISP saying, look, you know, this is scaring people away. Can this be fixed? <laughs> so I, I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to get your own SSL because it is reporting on the one before the one that you were borrowed into. I think well, I, I don't know came from, but yeah, you, you'll have to get your own secure site certificate so that just because you claim it's yours doesn't prove it to anyone but you. So I, I, I don't know. How, I don't know how, how to do all that stuff. So no, it'll, it'll yeah. they'll tell you it'll, it'll all get straight. Down. Oh, okay. Nick, I'll, I'll get right. you one. 700 bucks. We'll, we'll get it. We'll trade it for a Canadian Coco three. That should buy him a couple of years yeah. worth. Well, of that's right. Price. That's half the price. So yes, yeah, sold. <laughs> I got you. Um, but yeah, anyone who logs into my website, ignore the error. Just continue. Yeah, Especially still, if you're buying. It's still <laughs> secure as long as you recognize the the product that you're buying. There's no. Yeah. 
But I did want to bring that up because it will scare people off that you get this big warning from your browser. It doesn't matter what browser you're using that this is dangerous. You might get hacked and yeah. you know that type of thing. And as you you found, Curtis, there are actually some browsers, browsers that, that block will, it entirely. It just block you yeah. entirely, so you might have to use not... a different browser to get. Yeah, I hit that. You're in absolutely no danger going to Nick's site. Absolutely no danger <laughs> as long as you don't download the original version of Neutron. There <laughs> <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> and your mental health is your There's own problem. There's a good warning. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bob, do you think it's easy or hard? I think it's, uh, oh, here we go. relatively easy and fun. I think that's the important thing. It looks it. like it's much more playable. It is. You You can understand what's going on. Yeah, that was the critical thing that uh, Nick missed when he converted from the Model 1, which did have the visual cue of, you know, uh, zapping the walls so that you can deflect the actual neutral because you don't control the neutral itself. You're controlling the walls. Well, you don't you don't even really have to think about the background. The background's there just for an effect. I mean, it does it does connect with the brain better. Like you literally know what you're doing now. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you don't get that, Nick, but that's what happens. <laughs> I don't have a brain, so I sort of bypass that section. If Nick only had a brain. And you had this in the Model 1 version. Like, you had that at the beginning. Yes, I did. I did. That was there. But because you already knew idea. how to play the game, it wasn't obvious that you needed that to learn how to play the nah. game. Because you already knew how to play the game, so you didn't need it. Because when you play it without that visual cue, you're always going like, okay, I'm going to steer you're to the right. trying to go backwards. And then it lot. doesn't work. And then you're right. going, what the hell? You can't even steer this thing. It's half random. That's what it felt like. I do me. have to say the first time I ever played it, I was completely lost at how, what, what I was controlling, how I was controlling it. Yeah, same here. And this fixed it. This this completely fixes that. Yeah, and adds a bunch of you know visual effects and sound effects that weren't present in any of the previous versions, which is really awesome. Sound effects are good. Yep. Yeah. I I have no complaints on the new version, except that your site's dangerous, and I don't know if I want to go get it then. <laughs> it's, <too scary. laughs> it's only dangerous if you download the original Coco version of Neutroid, so or any of the original versions. I mean, this is what try number four hundred twelve. I can't remember now. <laughs> Okay. There's Neutroid. There's Neutroid two. There's Neutroid twenty fifteen, and then and the new reloaded. reloaded. It's, so it's, it's the, the fourth. fourth version. Well, fifth four times the charm. And I will say, I've seen, I've seen a bit of what Nick's working on now, and I'm, I'm really impressed. So hopefully, it goes well for you, Nick. If, if I can finish it off, so I'm not saying I'm not making any promises, point. but I'm saying so far it looks really good. You better. So far, it's working, but uh, yeah, it's something I haven't done before. It's something that uh, I'm not sure if I can do it fully, but it is it is so far working okay. So if that continues, and I will say, if there's if you get stuck on something, if there's anything I can do to help, I will do it because I do want to see that project completed. Yeah, I won't even charge you royalties. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. He'd have to make change then. Mm. So anyway. when is this one coming up, Ken? Because this is a, a pre-announced one, so people had time to purchase uh, it. Yeah, it's uh, next week. Oh. Oh, what? So, so this is next week's game? Like, yeah, not not the. I'm not announcing it today. It'll be for next Saturday. Oh, you're right. announcing it okay. next Saturday? So or the yeah. gameplay so is next? We're looking at this too early. 
We're starting. Okay, we we're should... starting this next week. In a, in a week, okay. seven days okay. from now. Yeah, we had to give people time to purchase it because it's a brand new game. It's not a you know free download off the archive. So yeah. Well, the, and we also have to warn well, people that yeah. until Nick gets his certificate thing straight, note that your browser might scare you away. You yeah, yeah just to hit okay hands. to that. That's okay. It's so yeah, I'm trying to fix it this week. So well, when you buy the game, doesn't it take you to Kanaki instead? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah you that's not going to have then. a certif yeah. certificate error. Yeah. No, it's just yeah. to get to Nick's site it, to even to get, get to, to that Kanaki to, link. To, yeah. 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 That's right. Now, if you if you're buying a CD, it takes to that Kunaki site. They do the uh, CD manufacturing. But a digital if download you stays buy, on your site, right? It stays on my. Well, it, it gives you a link to a PayPal at, um, um, connection. That's all. Okay. Um, nothing special. But yeah, to go to my website at all to even see it, um, yeah, it's uh, currently okay. got that little error. I'll sort it out eventually. That's you know, it'd be a nice ad for your game, uh, Nick, is to uh, go to uh, Las Vegas where that big dome is that, that makes pictures that look like the moon behind me and have your game up oh, yeah. on that thing. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> it'd be a little twisted, curved. It's just like a big <laughs> monitor. Bob's gotten up to level, well, he's about to finish, rather, level five. There it goes. So how long till you uh, break the game, Bob? Oh, it'll be a while. All right, well, let's uh, move on then. And uh, yeah, let's talk about our 100th live game on. Um, Moon Patrol. Have here. So. so it's going to be a poker game, but it's real money. <laughs> so this was our 100th live game on challenge. Um, mostly we played uh, Lunar. Uh, what the heck's the name of the game? Lunar Rover Lunar Patrol. Rover. Lunar Rover Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> I keep messing it up. Uh, a couple of us did try um, Dungeon Raid. A little bit, but mostly we just went back to Lunar Rover Patrol because it's a really fun game. So I don't know what else there is to say, but we had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, why... I, I am running an alternate palette. I guess I'd mentioned that. Yeah. So a lot of people asked me about it during the stream. Yeah, I just changed one color. Yeah. I changed green from white to dark blue. It's palette zero comma one before you exec it. So there you and go. That's my only. That's my only complaint about this game. The title. It's called Moon Rover Patrol. No, um, Lunar Rover Patrol. Lunar, Lunar Rover, Rover Patrol. Patrol, which symbolizes on the Coco 2 uh, a blue sky, green hills on the moon. Yeah, right. I wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> You've heard of the moon being made of green cheese, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, right. So that was my only problem. And all they had to do was call it Mars Rover Patrol because Mars has a slightly blue sky. Um, I don't know about the green hills, but. Although, it, I mean, it is it is a uh, version of Moon Patrol. So, 
You don't want to go it's, too it's, far it's, away it's, from it. The, the game itself, yeah, the game itself is well done and it does play well and all that. It's just the colours uh, calling it Lunar Rover Patrol. I thought, yeah, you could have just called it another, another planet. Don't, don't call but, it Moon. Also, in marketing, then, it's not close enough to Moon Patrol that people may think it's a completely different game and not buy it then. They'll be like, oh, I love Moon Patrol, but Mars Patrol? Eh, that doesn't sound like mm. my bag. Yeah, they could have just used the Puyon colors. Eek. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, for a Mars game, that would work because you have orange for the Martian surface, you have white for the polar caps, and then cyan and magenta, you can you know, just bleed your eyes out for whatever reason. <laughs> You'd have to get rid of the planet Earth uh, in the sky, though. Right. Otherwise, if you ignore the fact mm -hmm. that the moon is not blue sky, it's great. <laughs> well, I think it just it uh, with that green color for the uh, for the moon and everything. It just green cheese. The fits the moon. The moon is a cocoa. Yeah, Everybody, there you go. Everybody that lives on the moon uses cocos. We, so we've lit up the entire lunar surface with the yeah, blazing are, green screen of the cocoa. Everybody go. has their cocos going in the background, which is giving a nice green glow to the moon. There you go. Yeah. And um, because people are living on it, they've added an atmosphere, which has made the uh, sky blue. There you go, Nick. Yeah. Problem you solved. Right. Palette zero comma one, Curtis? Okay. In RGB, but, you got to be in RGB for that. R RGB yeah. first, then palettes are going. Yeah. Gotcha. But this is a game that really does suit the the color set. It's just an all around good game. It's it's one of the best Moon Patrol clones on eight bits I'd seen. It was yeah, one as far of as being the, you know close to the arcade. Yeah, it was one of the uh, the games I used to play back in the day on the Coco Two. Yeah, this is one I played a lot of arcade have and with Coco. the colors, Nick. <laughs> you didn't have color. The colors are good. Oh, no, you did. That was this is an actual proper this color is, mode. You yeah. did have color. This is a P mode three. This one, the colors are good. Yeah, <laughs> they suited the game quite well. Like I said, it was just the title I have a problem with. Oh, okay. That Nick is so Nick nitpicky. Nick picky. Well. I, I think it's, yeah, it's the future. There's an atmosphere on the moon, so the sky's got to be blue, and uh, everybody has their cocos going, so there's a, you know. Yeah, this is, the, this is the moon after being terraformed, Nick. That's what's Yeah, exactly, right? terraformed. 100 million people using cocos up on the moon, and uh, that's the green glow you get from their monitors. <laughs> All right, and anyways. The, the, uh, oh. oh, sorry. Go ahead. One other question. The author of this game, um, did, what else did he do on the Kogo? Do we know? Well, it's it's authored by two people. So Tom Keaton and Brett Keaton. And then there's two Toms. There's a father and a son. And then uh, another son was Brett. I'm not sure if it's the father and son team or if it's the two brothers. Uh, but between them, they did stuff like Galax Attacks, the Galaxian clone. Ah. They did Whirlybird Run, which is Scramble clone. So yeah, ah. they did a few for Spectral. Yeah, well, the Whirlybird run was good, too. In fact, if you look closely on Lubrin World Patrol, if you remember on Whirlybird run, when it first starts scrolling the, the, the landscape, it doesn't scroll in from the right to the left fully formed. It kind of fades it in yeah. on each bite. And if you watch when the uh, aliens that drop the bombs that create craters, 
it's using the exact same scrolling routine on Lunar Rover Patrol because it does the same effect. Right. Yeah, no, it is a well-done game. And you have another week to play it. Yep, I'll be playing this one again, for sure. So, um, yeah, on Thursday nights, get into Discord, join us on this thing. We've been going for 100 episodes, so everybody should know where and when it's happening. To come play the games live. If you don't want to play the games of the week, you can play any game for the Coco you want. And uh, if you don't want to play a game, just hang out and chat. It's a fun time on Thursday nights. A time on Thursday nights? Well, time, it's at five o'clock uh, my time. I don't, whatever that means for you guys. Okay. So that would be eight o'clock Eastern. Sure. Why not? That's that's too much math for me to figure out other time zones. Eight Eastern, look at seven room. Central. Apparently, Ken needs to spend more time with the math tutor. <laughs> he needs to have a blast <laughs> with that new math tutor. And, and, and Ron knows the moon. You look at the picture of the moon behind Ron. You can see there's no blue sky or green hills there. <laughs> well, it's a nuclear winter on the moon. No green cheese. <laughs> or on Earth is a nuclear ah, winter. But hang on, it could be on the dark side of the moon. It might be, eh? Down below. We don't know what's over there, do we? Yeah, we do. Uh -huh. I have oh, yeah, we dark do. I know. Yeah, it, you can't see the Earth from the dark side of the moon, so. Good point. Yeah, don't feel bad. Um, Well-known movie named Moon made the same mistake. Ah, oh, did they? I do have Moon. That was a good movie, that. It is an awesome movie, but there's yeah, a part like where it. he drives a minute and then the, the Earth is way up in the sky, which if you're ah. supposed to be on the dark side of the moon and can't communicate You directly, can't see it, no. Yeah. Oops. It's a good movie, though. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. So we are going to play Lunar River, <laughs> Lunar Rover Patrol for one. <laughs> Shut up, Curtis. <laughs> Lunar <laughs> Rover Patrol for one more week. And uh, because Halloween is coming up soon, we're going to revisit our favorite Halloween game. Can anybody guess what that is? Neutroid. Ghost Ghost could be Poltergeist. It could be Fangman, uh, Phantom Rush. Slayer. Ghost I don't Rush. know. Yeah. Oh, I was totally wrong. It's Pac Ghost Man. Gobbler. Our favorite, our most played uh, Halloween <laughs> game, which actually tied with Lunar Rover Patrol. So this is Ghost Rush Halloween ever. Edition. Yep. The candy Halloween corn. Edition. Yeah, exactly. Not, getting, not the candy corn. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, so here it is the title screen. So. Have fun with that. Simple game. This is one you can get everybody playing because it's one button. That's all you have need to play the game is one button. Which button is that? That would be the fire button. The one button. It's not Just... your belly button. Yes. Well, you could try sitting there playing your hitting your, your belly button. button. It's not going to do much, but you'll score still score some points. You may score some points. As long as it's not the reset button. And not on the stream. 
So yeah, that's our game for the next two weeks over Halloween. So enjoy that. Bring your candy corn. <laughs> Rick loves there. candy corn. And that's all I have to say. Do you like my scary Halloween background? Ooh. Been How'd you know I have a fear of palm trees? <laughs> There's a pumpkin on the porch over there. Or you're oh, waiting geez. for a coconut to fall on your head so you're in dread. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Halloween so now we know today. we know the next this next week's or next two weeks game is going to be the one you just picked. Ghost uh Ghost Rush. Rush. Halloween edition. Uh, and we also know the game following that is going to be Neutroid Knicks. Reloaded. Yeah. So That's this way you get a, bit of a chance to practice game. on Neutroid. That's right. Every year uh, skate, who's yeah. going to want to practice on Neutroid when you have Lunar Rover Patrol to play for the next week? That's that's true. <laughs> every, every year it's Halloween Reloaded. Are you sending messages, uh, Jason? Uh, I'll be sending messages in semaphore later. Mm. Okay, well, thanks, Ken. I'm too bad Sloopy wasn't around because I know he was playing some of these too, and he was comparing yep. the Lunar Rover Patrol with the Moon Patrol official for the Atari 400 and 800. That one I've never played, but I, I I've, I've played the 5200 version, which is fairly similar, and it's that's it it the music is done really well. Um, main gameplay is pretty darn good. But the drawing of the actual rover itself is so different from the arcade. I don't understand why they did that. They could have done it to look close, and they didn't. That's one thing I liked about the Apple version is that the um, the uh, rover is done really well, and it's really fun to watch it explode and your tires go bouncing off in every direction. <laughs> yeah, well, the Google version does that too. It just so we only have four wheels instead of six. Yeah, it does, but it's it's more pronounced in the Apple version because yeah. I died a lot <laughs> when I was a kid <laughs> on that game. Okay, so do you want me to go straight on the game on news there, Mark? Um, well, we gotta do the gotta do the thing. Okay, there you go. Okay, so a fair bit in the games uh, section this uh, this week. Uh, first one here, the Wargaming Scribe, who's kind of doing a, the equivalent of chronologically gaming, except just for war games on all platforms, has done his very first game that originated on the Dragon 32. And it's a game called Empire, which is kind of a clone of Risk by Shard Software. Uh, Karen can pipe in, or some of the other Europeans if they've ever played this particular one. So once again, he does his major, you know, deep dives going through it. Um, screenshots galore. Some of them are even animated to show, you know, some of the actual gameplay. As you can see, it's basically a risk-based game. And then he kind of goes through and reviews it. Now he gives it an absolutely terrible review. <laughs> and he's harsh because he compares by modern standards, basically. Like if you think the game's going to be still playable in modern times for people used to modern games. Uh, aside from just pure nostalgia. But he also admits he's not a Risk game fan. He doesn't like the Risk board game that much to begin with. So that might have biased his review somewhat. 
but uh, yeah, he goes into great detail of it. There's different, you know, ports of it as well. But you can see like his uh, ratings, immersion, terrible, systems, terrible, <laughs> design and balancing, terrible. Did I make any interesting decisions? No. Final rating, totally obsolete. <clears throat> Not exactly a <laughs> rave review. <laughs> but as he points Wait. out, contemporary reviews in some of the magazines at the time actually quite liked it. So and he, he does admit he's not a risks fan, so he's he wouldn't have been giving it a good review even if it was on a modern PC with Windows type thing. But yeah, check check his uh, page out if you're into war games at all and you want to see like he's covered numerous Cocoa ones before, and now he's starting to cover the Dragon ones, and he's been covering C64 and Apple IIs and all kinds of stuff. So if you're into that type of a game, it's a great site to go to. And he's also been helping uh chronological gaming because chronology gaming does not have the time to go through and figure out like war games are complicated games these are not simple little arcade shooters and stuff here there's a lot you have to learn to play them properly you might have to know the history behind some of the battles you're going in so you know what to do uh so he helps uh give him tips so that he can do a nice brief presentation during his show um and he goes in a lot more detail than my site will ever go on these because i don't have time to fully play war games either so highly recommend it if you're into war games Speaking of chronological gaming, he closed out July of 1982 and started into August. So the ones he closed out, the Coco One, were Warrior and Yahtzee uh, by GoSub International. Now, these, these are ones that I would give terrible ratings to myself, probably. They're basically text-based games, and they're ported from, like, earlier tier City Model 1 or Apple II games from, like, the late 70s, even before the Coco came out. So they're pretty well basically just text like war is just basically text. It's like a poor man's version of Viking or something. Um, the Odyssey one actually at least did add little drawings and low res graphics of the dice and stuff. So that one's a little bit better. Not not overly impressive. But those two were covered in one single episode just as he was closing out July of 82. And then when he started in August of 82, uh, one of the games he's covered already for the Coco is Color Zap by Spectral Associates. Now, it's basically Space Zap from the arcade, if you're used to that. Um, the one thing that's been added from the arcade game is you can overheat your gun if you rapid fire too much and blow your own base up from overheating, which the arcade game did not have. And uh, it was getting re ratings that were, you know, average. I personally, myself, would have given it, and I mentioned it on the chat there, I mentioned that uh, it probably deserves a little bit higher because this was a bargain game. Like, most of the games Spectral sold at this time are like 19 to $21 uh, and 95 cents US per game. Colors app started out at 995. Like this was a dirt cheap game titled by comparison and still a fun, faithful arcade port. So I would have given it a little bit more just because it was half the cost of anything else available for the Coco at the time. It's a nice 16K P mode for artifacting color game that you know runs pretty well, decent sound effects, and uh, adds a bit to the arcade original. So I quite liked it. But you can go check those out on the Chronology Game site. I will give you guys a bit of a teaser. Um, Monday's show, the one at 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday, so just a few days from now, is going to be the official introduction on Chronological Gaming of the Dragon 32. And uh, so I'm hoping that some of the uh, Dragon people might be able to pop by for some of those and, you know, help give some background and stuff. Because I know a lot of people think the Dragon basically never sold well in the UK because it only lasted a couple of years and then they went bankrupt and then it got sold to Eurohard and Spain, et cetera. But the thing is the dragon actually was one of the top two or three sellers for most of 1983. Um, the register actually did an article on, on how all the various eight bit systems, the Coco never did really that well because it was overpriced, but the dragon 32 was fighting with the spectrum. And at the end of 1983 was fighting with the Commodore 64 
for top spots. It actually beat them both a couple of times. Um, so actually it was, it was for about a year and a half, a really good seller. Like it was doing really well. It was one of the top selling computers in the UK. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he says about it. Um, and of course they had some pretty good launch titles because uh, Dragon Data and MicroDeal and others, of course, went to the North American market because the hardware is basically compatible to Coco One and got a whole bunch of games that you know, we'd already spent a couple of years learning how to program for it and had some pretty good ones out by the middle of 82 and bang, they're instantly on the Dragon. So their launch titles were pretty darn good. Um, basically based on a lot of the stuff uh, from the Cocoa world and started, of course, they started making their own games including a bunch we never saw until the internet hit, which we've covered a few in the show like uh, Lucifer's Kingdom. So you can go check that one out as well. I won't bother playing them on here. Next up, uh, just released yesterday, Tim and AJ of My Drunk Sibling YouTube channel on Sibling Rivalry episode 105 in a Halloween theme, decided to cover Poltergeist, programmed by Robert Arnstein. Um, who also did Racket 2, Bedlam, Pyramid 2000, Project Nebula, a uh, bunch of others. Um, this is a game, uh, One, I think, if I remember correctly, this is the very first officially licensed game that Tandy ever sold for the Coco. This came out in late 82. Um, so this is before Zaxxon, before Puyan, etc. Um, and it's the only one, because <laughs> uh, Poltergeist was not licensed as an official game on any other platform, as far as I know. We were the unique one for that, so it's kind of an experiment on Tandy's part. Mark Siegel, if you're still in the chat there, I don't know if you were around Tandy at this time. I don't think you were quite, or maybe you just came along around that time. I'm just wondering if you know any of the background history of how this whole thing got arranged. Uh, but it's basically a, a game with three different screens. And I'm trying to remember, Ken, have we covered this one? I think we did on the Game on Challenge, didn't we? Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> Um, I think two years ago. Okay. It's it's a game that's I don't know how I describe it. It's it can be viciously hard if you play by the rules, <laughs> but there's some bugs in the game that allow you to not play by the rules. Which actually, I was kind of surprised Tim didn't know about this. I actually left a comment on it because uh, one of the hardest screens on this is the first one where you're trying to go in through traffic. Actually, I'm also just fast forward this a bit here so you can kind of see what I'm talking about while I'm discussing it. And if you no. think of it as three mini games, it's much better than if you try to coherently yeah. fit them together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, if you, as you can see on the screen here, you've got a 30 countdown timer. It's not seconds, it's a bit longer than seconds, but so you got that much time to do it. There's a bunch of grids of streets and houses here, basically, suburban area. And you've got five houses that have black squares in them. Those contain the objects you have to find and pick up. So you have to run by the house or into the driveway, click the button to pick them up, and it'll tell you what you picked up. After you've got all five of those, you have to get the moving blue square that's flashing between houses. That's the poltergeist. And you click on that to complete the level. Um, but it's really hard because all these cars come out, and it's it's quite random. Cars can run over each other, no problem. They don't damage each other, but they can run over you. And... Uh, there's no, uh, you know, it's not like only one per row lane or something like that, or one going one direction on each lane. It's like three, four, multiple ones all over the place. So it's quite hard. But there's a bug in the game, which I think we discussed when we actually played it officially on the game on challenge. If you hold down the joystick button, cars never come out, which makes this level really, really easy. So then you can get on to the second one where you're going up the flight of stairs. And there's a bit of a tip trick there that... Uh, Let's see, I find a place with actually lasted more than two seconds on it. So you're the footsteps on the bottom, and you have to traverse up the stairs to the top. 
you've got all these things floating back and forth on fixed tracks. They just bounce back and forth. And then you've got the little blue poltergeist itself that's coming after you. It'll hone in on you. But if it runs over top of some of the other objects, it gets frozen until those objects completely pass over. So you can kind of guide it while it's honing on you to like hit things and pause and then run around it and run around it type thing. And here's, uh, you can see the excitement on AJ here because she actually managed to complete that level before Tim did during the game and she's never played it before. Whereas Tim played it, you know, a fair bit. So kudos to AJ on that one. And hey, Tim later on did make it to level three as well. Um, and level three is, I don't know how to describe that one either, really. You're in the energy field. You need an analog joystick for this one because you're moving a crosshair. And you've got an object coming through the energy field, coming towards you, getting bigger as it gets closer. And it can either be a poltergeist, which is kind of this hideous face thing, or it can turn out to be Carol Ann, which is like a stick figure of Carol Ann. And it's only like the last two frames out of eight or nine of, of the animation of it growing bigger coming towards you that you actually can see what it really is. And it gets faster and faster as you go through. And I think you have to go through eight of them without shooting Carol Ann, but shooting all the poltergeists. Because if either if the poltergeist runs past you, you lose. If you uh, shoot Carol Ann, you lose. So you have a especially tight timing trying to get it done the last well. I don't really have a recommendation on that one, except, uh, you know, drink a youth elixir so your reflexes are back like you were 20. Because <laughs> it's it's really hard. That one is hard. But they seem to enjoy the game. It's, uh, as Ken mentioned, uh, the, the different scenes, the three mini games do have some involvement with the movie type thing, but um, they don't really connect to each other super well. I guess it does a little bit. You find the house, then you go up the stairs, and then you're at the energy field. But um, anybody here have any memories since we're in, you know, Halloween coming up? really soon any memories of this game and what did they think of it paul shoemaker in the chat saying he kind of likes poltergeist actually erico says uh poltergeist has some really cool sound i think i made it to level two before is that with the cheat or without mm, don't recall Well, I always liked Poltergeist because it was, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, a good variety of uh, different types of games in it, which. Yeah, and this is very early on for getting these multi mini games. Yeah. Like it, it, a lot of uh, games, you know, that would have multiple screens. You're just doing the same thing on each screen. This you're doing drastically different things on each screen. Yeah, like there's their own separate mini games. It's not just like here's level two with different backgrounds and some new aliens doing the same. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's a it's a good game. I wouldn't say it's a great game, um, but you did kind of get your money's worth. You basically got three games for one, and I wouldn't have paid a cartridge price for any single game. But having all three of them in there was kind of nice, and having a an official license, you know, property on the Coco was non-existent at this point in time. But up until this exact game came out, so that was kind of a it holds a bit of a special place in my heart for that where we actually had something we could brag to other people about, you know, because everybody else was saying, oh, yeah, we just got the official version of uh, Frogger or whatever type thing. And we started getting that in 83, but before that, we didn't really have anything but this. Let me go check it out. It has their standard sense of humor. You get to see them drinking red drinks, which I can't remember which one. They are. Monte Crystals, I think they were, which is part of the theme. Uh, next up, we have Expert Tech. We've covered him before. He's got real Cocoa hardware hooked up to an amber screen monitor, and he does videos occasionally where he just plays a game on the Cocoa. 
And this particular case, he plays Quix by Atomic Software, which is a clone of Kicks from the arcade, of course. Uh, I think most of you have probably seen it before. Um, it's in, he's Spanish, so it's speaking in Spanish, but I'll just show a little bit of the things you got to get. I got the closed captioning turned on here so you can kind of get a translation. Not always accurate. I just find it amazing he always plays these on amber, though. <laughs> Hey, we can go check that one out. He's he's played a, quite a number of games, and there's a few he's really good at. Like Sailor Man, he just went and tore through all the levels. Like he's quite good at that game, even on later levels where it gets harder. This is an interesting one. So this is a uh, a site that I've not been on before, though it's a fairly large one with almost a hundred thousand subscribers called Teal Game Master. And this particular video. Uh, which is almost an hour long, basically goes through the first 100 computer games that Disney ever brought out. And there's quite a few Coco ones. We were actually one of the earlier computers to get some of those. You, and some of these you might remember with the multimedia style ones where you actually had the tape playing in the background with voices and stuff. And it would use motor on, audio on to kind of give you a multimedia experience back in 1982 or 83. So he covers quite a few of them. And then there's some other ones that became cross-platform ones, um, which are sort of the ones made by Sierra on Disney's behalf. This would be like Donald Duck's Playground and Mickey's Space Adventure and that kind of thing. Now, I don't know if he just didn't know or if he's going by the initial release dates because a couple of those he has, he lists like there's an Atari version, an IBM PC version, an Apple II version. And he doesn't mention the Cocoa versions of those, but I do know the original versions of these came out a year or two before the Cocoa versions came out. Um, whereas these ones here, like I'm showing here, like Mickey's Alpine Adventure, or Goofy does the government, which is one I hadn't seen before. <clears throat> but these these were uniquely the Coca because of the multimedia capabilities of running actual audio off cassette, actual you know real speech, not digitized speech. So there's uh, there's some of these later ones he didn't mention there was a Coco version, but it might be because they came out on the Coco a couple of years later. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. I'll just play a little clip here. I think kind of get an idea for the, the government. Most you want me to find that one? I think it's actually around seen. here. The machine ran no, I was just saying Goofy is still in the government. <laughs> in the, the isn't that mandatory now to get in? I don't know. A hook? That vibe. <laughs> okay, this is really stupid. The next one is Goofy Covers Government. No, I'm not joking. There's no one I'd like to learn about the government with more than Goofy. This will be utter chaos. Or it should be. It's pretty tame because it has to teach you. No Goofy fumbling and a hundred armed officers surrounding him because he tripped into the Oval Office and pulled the president's trousers down or something. So disappointing. Is there anything the president can't do? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's not Goofy's voice. It just doesn't sound right. Mm. Happy. Anyway, <clears throat> that's some of the early ones. And if you go through the list of the hundred here, which you can actually just do the description, he actually goes through them all. He's even got some council games, some that were announced but never fully came out. Um, stuff's covering Tron, and then you get into some of the stuff that's more the ones that are on multiple ones, though he kind of highlights one particular machine at a time. And then on and on up through the first 100 here into 1991. I thought it was pretty interesting, though. I, I didn't realize that some of these uh, earliest ones we had in 82, 83 were actually unique to the Cocoa and never came out on anything else. Whereas, you know, a little bit later, like the ones I mentioned earlier, they actually came out on like five, six platforms.
And speaking of some semi-educational games, which some of those Disney ones were, uh, we've got Nostalgia Vault on YouTube, and uh, another fairly large channel with twenty-seven, almost 28,000 subscribers, uh, reviewed two Coco 2 and 3 games of the educational variety. Uh, face Maker, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen before. It's where children get to build faces together. If you guys have made avatars on the original Wii, um, it's kind of like the original version of that. Where you get to pick, you know, what kind of eyes do you have? What kind of eyebrows and nose, etc. You get to pick, choose, and just build your face type thing. And the second one he did is Kids on Keys. Which I remember seeing ads for, but I'd never really played it all that much, so. I think I got that. Oh, nice little animations and stuff there. And at least they use the machine language routine for doing single note sound that doesn't have that 60 hertz warble that we normally get with the play command. A song command actually sounds like a semi-decent music. Next up, uh, Retro Trailer 2, which is a fairly new channel from what I gather. Uh, just out of the blue, decided to do a seven-minute playthrough of Steve Bjork's Warp Friday 3D. Um, so this is kind of a Junior League Project Nebula style game where you're warping between sectors and you have to destroy aliens and you've got asteroids you got to kind of dodge or shoot. Um, from a 3D perspective, not as, as complicated as Star Raiders or even Project Nebula for that matter. It's a bit easier of a game. The unique thing about this, though, is it actually came with 3D deep vision glasses, as uh, Steve called them, which is the standard red and blue style 3D glasses that will actually give you a real 3D effect. And for any of you on the panel or any of you in the audience that happened to be at this last year's Coco Fest or Boat Fest, we actually demoed it and actually brought the glasses along so people could try them out. Ken, I think you had a chance to try both, didn't you? You muted, Ken. Yes, yes, I did. What, I what did you think of the, the 3D effect? Um... It was decent. I mean, I uh, believe that the uh, glasses we were using were not quite the right shades. Yeah, it was a little bit off. And also, it was meant more for RGB. Like, I know at Boatfest, we played it on composite, and it's yeah. you're getting artifacting and stuff thrown in there, which really throws it off. But, but you still, still get the effect. Yeah, you could still get the effect, which with a little bit of ghosting around it, but it looked pretty cool. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't get more games that did this. I know in 80... Two very early 83, both 80 micro and rainbow had published games that did the same thing, use glass for the Coco One and Two. Because by Jove, our artifacting color on the Coco One and Two was red and blue. And guess what? There's red and blue 3D glasses. So, um, I know a few basic games fiddle with it. I even fiddled with it back in the day. I did, you know, just you know, having boxes or something move around the screen. But, uh, I'm surprised we didn't get more games actually made specifically for this because we kind of had the right artifacting colors to pull it off if you got the right classes. I was wondering if anybody here, game developer-wise, like maybe Nick or somebody, or just you know working with BASIC back in the day, did anybody else here besides myself experiment with doing 3D with 3D glasses? Not, yeah, I, I did some uh, high-color too um, pictures that came out good. It worked with my glasses. It's not a game, but Okay. My, my problem was the the glasses for printed blue and red 3D did not match, did not work with a monitor, so I never could pull it off really. Yeah, because one problem I had is like everybody back then, especially with RF TVs. I mean, if your tint control is a bit off, then you know 
one of the colors would fade to green instead of blue, and then all of a sudden your glasses don't work well at all. Yeah, and since then I've seen glasses that are made for luminous, luminous screens. And yeah, if we'd had if I'd had those glasses back then, I'd have done all kinds of crap on the cocoa. But the glasses we had then weren't for screens that glow; they were for paper that absorbed light, and they just don't work. So there's yeah. also the the two images that you uh, cross your eyes to, you know, that oh, makes yeah. a 3D effect. That, that always works. <laughs> yeah. I got, when the Cocoa 3 came out in the RGB analog model, where you have a color that's basically fixed, you can't, unless your monitor's not working properly, you're not going to get a great deviation from the color, which I think is why Steve waited until the Cocoa 3 to do this. Because with RGB, at least you had a predictable red and a predictable blue or green. Right. So I think that's why that it came out at that time, and he didn't really fiddle with it before that. But uh, I'm surprised no other people did try that, because you could have done some pretty cool things with it. Maybe we'll have to get somebody to try it again. Nick, are you volunteering? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Just making sure you're awake. Hmm. Uh, a couple comments in the chat from it. Uh, Amigos Director Game saying it was pretty awesome because he tried it at uh, both two. 3D was surprisingly good. Erico says Firecopter would be cool this 3D way. I agree. I'm thinking uh, and Mark Siegel says he played with it. Where was it? tried in 3D. For Nick, he could do Neutroid <laughs> in 3D. Dagger in 3 Ah, yeah. Version 5. Here it comes. <laughs> Don't encourage him, Ken. It has X, Y, and Z <laughs> Neutroids, so you got to get that reflector. Neutroid 3D, the quest for more money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or more Ferraris, depending. Ooh, 3X's Neutroid. That would be I mean, the game itself, you can play without 3D glasses. You're obviously seeing that version here. Because um, if you play it in 3D, you'll see the red and blue planes are flickering back and forth every 30th of a second. So it, it's a bit of an eye strain until you put the glasses on. But um, it's a fairly simple version of, of, like I said before, Space or Star Raiders or Project Nebula. It's it's the gameplay is fairly simple. It's fairly easy. Like I pretty well can go play forever on it if I'm being careful. Uh, but it was a good technology demonstration, I guess, of actually making a game in in real quote unquote 3D. I know some people back at Cocoa Fest in either the late 90s or the 2000 knots were actually experimenting with trying to get polarized 3D glasses to work with it. So you could actually still get color instead of getting everything kind of wiped out into a single color, which is what the blue-green ones usually do. But I don't know if that ever got finished. I think Alan Huffman might have been fiddling with that. And then the last one is an MC10 game, not by Jim Gary. Um, this is a uh, Poor Man's Frogger for 4K MC10, written by Jay Craw. And I'll just back it a little bit. I'll mute it because I don't know if that's copyrighted or not. Frogger. Yep. So the the single or double high black vertical bars are your cars and stuff on the road. You're the big black block on the bottom. And you got to try to get up into the slot without hitting any of those. So. It's got a little bit of sound. I'll turn it on just briefly. Takes a bit of imagination, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't really know how old this particular one is, if it says. No. But anyway, it's on a website called Retro Loser. I'm kind of curious what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> this is as far as the channel name. But it's also Play fairly this and you'll lose. Hmm. So he's got one of his frogs home on the second column. 
I mean, it <clears throat> it gives you the very basics of a Frogger game, I guess. I'm sure Jim Garrett or somebody else could do a better job because it's basically just monochrome, green and black. So the vertical bars, that's the river. Yeah, with nothing moving across it. Right. Or do you have to get across? I don't know. Yeah. I don't have enough imagination. Uh, the top half of the screen's <laughs> just a time suck. So the yeah. timer's running out. Until <clears throat> I, I know it had to fit in 4K was one of the prerequisites for whoever wrote this. So that might have... What is that? Five lines of animation and then just... Yeah, a straight slot to run up to the top type thing. Maybe to keep the speed up. He probably didn't know some of the tricks like Nick's done on a Space Invaders 4K game where you can keep the invaders going at a decent clip. Because he just died from a timer. So that means that, yeah, you got to run through here okay anyway yeah. maybe that's a new site too i'll keep an eye on see if they do any other mc10 or, or coco games um all right that's it for the game on news so i will stop sharing so mark can light my hair and fire for you to the record when you want the latest in trs 80 tandy dragon mc10 and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. You notice my hair is shorter this week, I, I might have been trying to solder. <laughs> you really should have a fire extinguisher in there, Curtis. <laughs> I need a whole fire hose and a hydrant. Okay, so first up, um, Tier City Retro Programming. I did a couple videos this week. The first one is an update to the Tail Suburbia project. This is showing the backyard, uh, which the ultimate goal of this graphic adventure game is you have to get the model rocket here and you launch it. So this is just kind of is uh, doing you know some graphic backgrounds with trees and stuff there. It kind of goes a bit more into some other changes he's doing. So he's still redoing some changes on that game. So I'll probably cover it in a bit more detail once he gets it finished because he's getting close to finishing that one. Now, like Nick, <clears throat> if you concentrate too much on a single project, you kind of burn yourself out. So he switches up and does like the little side things. Well, actually, sort of why for that matter. I'm assuming most programmers probably do that. Otherwise, you just kind of burn yourself out on the same one. So here he is just deciding to try to draw a triangular prism using draw commands and just using the straight, you know, 45 degree and 90 degree angle type drawing, nothing too wacky. But then he decided he's going to fiddle around with the scale command. And this is where you find out that scaling, there's probably some mathematical things that are getting rounded because at certain scales, all of a sudden the lines don't complete to where they're supposed to. I've noticed this when I did used to draw, you know, text characters and I wanted to scale them up and down and certain scales would work great. And other ones it would chop it short. So he's going through trying to figure out, you know, where does it break? So he draws this nice little thing here, and then you, you kind of zoom it up. To do that, I would have to move missing a piece right here. And now all of a sudden, this chunk of the line just disappeared. <laughs> and if you go up further in the scale, it comes back. So I'm assuming it's a floating point rounding error that's kind of throwing it off. I don't know if anybody here has fiddled with this too much, but I remember hitting this exact same problem. So I try to keep my things fairly simple. 
So if a text character gets raised and you're missing the tail end of an S, it's, you can still tell it's an S. You can still read it. But if something like this, say I wanted to paint in part of this, <laughs> and all of a sudden the paint's going to leak and fill the whole screen. So, so let's um, mess with everyone really quick and ask if the triangle, the top point, is closer or further away than the bottom. Yeah, like which angle are you viewing this at, basically? <laughs> it's an optical illusion. It keeps flipping back and forth the longer you stare at it. It's been doing it to me, so might as well do it to everybody. Thanks. Now we you need can solve that with hidden hats. line removal, but that gets pretty CPU intensive and basic. I tried that. No thanks. Anyway, it's, it's a good a good review of that because I've hit that exact same problem. And the scale command is actually a pretty powerful thing to have because if you do draw, say, a little text font and all of a sudden you want a title screen or something, you can just hit the scale up to 12 or something and all of a sudden it's huge and you don't have to do any more programming. It's still the same font you had originally. So it works quite well. Um, it was funny because at the near the tail end of the video, he was saying he wished it had angles, and it actually it does. Now it's not as good as say the uh, the shape tables the Apple II had on AppleSoft Basic because that actually had one where you could scale, but angle in degrees. Um, whereas the Coca one, you only have A zero through A three, I think it is, which is like ninety degrees. You can have straight up and down, off to the right, down or left. Uh, basically, that's your four rotations, and then I think sixty four scales you could do. Something like that. Um, Mark, did you ever fiddle with shape tables in the Apple? Because I, I I learned about them quite young, so I knew how to like just – I used to use it to make a rotating ship explosion if you hit something because it just rotated whatever garbage was in the table. I didn't understand the table work. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of funky, and there's some good books on how to make them. But uh, I always find them really clunky and pretty slow, and it's like mm. – yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I guess they're great if you don't have any other way of doing anything, uh, but that's not they were really primitive. Yeah. Mark Siegel saying, now you know why uh, Dale Lear's DL logo used uh, BCD, binary coded decimal math, which is uh, basically avoiding the whole floating point and rounding problems. And he's right, because DL logo, you could actually specify how many digits do you want to be accurate. And then it's just integer adds all the way through or integer subtract, so it works quite well. It takes more memory, though. I thought that was a really interesting one for him to cover because uh, a lot of people may not be aware that you start getting these distortions at certain scales. And if you write something to, you know, draw a figure like this that you want to paint sides in in certain colors or something like that, be aware it will bust on certain scales. <laughs> You're not crazy. It's not you. Next up, speaking of Lunar Rover Patrol. <laughs> Uh, Coco Town is continuing on with Game Revolutions Episode 3. So this is where he did the original series, kind of covering a game he tried to write as a teenager, never finished because he didn't have the skill set yet to do it. And he went through and refigured everything out of what he did. Now he's going on improving it to see if he can finish it off. So this particular episode here, he starts exploring stack blasting for the very first time. And he publishes you know, a few videos showing what goes wrong when you don't set it up right and or if you forget that it goes backwards when you're pulling and, you know, that type of thing. So, but uh, by the end, like he, basically he's trying to do this because he did some switches to the original engine to allow for some things he wants to work properly. Like, you know, not dragging a bullet across the screen when the screen scrolls and stuff. So he's, you know, making copies and then copying it over. So it slowed the game down quite a bit. Like he lost about half the speed. Now he's trying to gain it back. And uh, he goes through, I'll just see if I can find a little clip here. Like here's one of the early experiments that didn't work this blue region into the screen buffer. S needs to start here. Actually, it needs to start at the very beginning of the line right after the blue. And then the very first push is 
first going to decrement the stack pointer to here and start writing the bytes. And each push is going to move it further and further toward the beginning of memory, right to left, and then up again, right to left, through each line, until it finally hits here, the start of the rectangle. And so the loop boundary condition asks, if we've reached the start of the rectangle, then we're done. And so what we would expect is it'll just keep redrawing that yellow stripe, but we won't notice. It should just look like the screen will stay like this. But I'm gonna let it go and let's see what happens. So, oh, there it goes. All of that yellow disappeared and you can kind of see this little shimmering that like keeps on happening, keeps on happening. Uh, so what's going on? Like it's still running, it still seems to be redrawing, but the stuff it's redrawing is no longer all that yellow junk. So what he had done here is he preloaded the registers with yellow and he's basically clearing a block of the screen using stack blasting to speed it, which I use on Nitro's 9 myself. But this happened. It ran okay. It's supposed to just keep redrawing the yellow over and over in that little block in the bottom, but all of a sudden it starts throwing this in. Anybody here have a suspicion as to what, what went wrong? I knew it immediately when I saw it because I've done the same thing in basic. Any of the ML coders here might have a clue? Oh, hang on. Rick, Nick. Try uh, it again. I was away from the the screen. <laughs> People complain our show's too long, and then Nick comes here and plays <laughs> it somewhere. Just because he's not paying attention. Trying to, try to go to <laughs> sleep and just keep like the screen will stay like this. So basically, what he did here, Nick, is he preloaded the registers uh, for the stack blast. I think six bytes worth, three sixteen bit registers with yellow, and then he just had to blast this little thing over and over again. But all of a sudden, this happened where this one little chunk here keeps changing and it filled in with bytes that he did not have in the registers. The the, the clue here that trick trick or triggered me as to what is going on is the fact that it keeps changing that couple of bytes while it's running. And it's just in a hard-coded loop to push that same area. I assume that's a stack being used by some sort of interrupt. Bingo. <laughs> it would happen to be stuff like the timer or the disk timer, because uh, that fires off every 60 of the second type thing. And if you happen to be in the middle of pushing on that screen, and because he's not, you know, shut interrupts off, it'll just come back with whatever stuff happens to be in the registers at that point. And that's what you're pushing now. <laughs> so, yeah, you're exactly right, Mark. You're going to yeah, be I've an ML coder on the 6809 yet. I've actually read the, uh, I've actually read the, uh, uh, the write-ups on that and know why and how to go about it to make it... Uh, get covered up. Cool. And this is after he actually gets it working. So now he's stack blasting the mountains and he's stack blasting the ground on the bottom. Cool. And how does this compare to the original before I started doing off-screen buffers? So just uh, for the people viewing here, the off-screen buffering and the off-screen buffering plus stack blasting, um, you can see that the stack blasting is actually running faster. But the original version actually had gotten cut in half speed. Did he have that at the beginning? I'm trying to remember here. Oh, yeah, he did. Whoa. So today we're going to look at how I can speed up drawing using stack blasting. So you can see what a difference that was when he switched over to, you know, an engine that works better for the game handling everything else rather than just raw copying. And now he's kind of trying to bring it back with stack blasting to make it back up for it. 
So it looks like adding the stack blasting did speed things up a little bit, but we're not at that speed that I was at before I started doing the off-screen buffer. My next task is going to be to do stack blasting for the moving portions of the screen. So I need to be stack blasting the mountains and I need to be stack blasting the ground. Well, that's right, yeah, the stack blasting is used now to clear the screen or the sky blue and the, the red strip at the bottom and stuff like that. So he's only doing filling basically stack blasting. So he's partner there. So the next one, he'll be getting into the actual moving the mountains and stuff. But I think he'll get his full speed back as Nick and I have, have used stack blasting a fair bit. It, it makes a big difference. Even doing mini stack blasting makes a pretty big difference. So good to, good to see it's progressing. I'm really interested to see what the final product's going to look like if he's going to have a complete game at the end of it here. So it's making good progress. Uh, next up, Ken had a couple of videos this week. So I'm going to let Ken, you want me to show us pick your part of each one or just let it run and you can kind of talk over it a bit to encourage people to watch um, the full thing? Whatever. <laughs> All right, we'll start off with trying to get composite out of my other Coco 2 Part 3. Yeah, you can just pop hey there, forward a little I'm bit Ken. in that. This is Canadian Russian. Okay, how far ahead do you want me to go? Yeah, that's fine. Right there. So, uh, if you remember a while back, I got the... Actually, at Coco Fest, I picked up this composite board, and I was trying to put it into my Coco 2. And uh, things have not been going entirely to plan. So when I first put it in, I was getting a green bar on the uh, side of it, on the side of the screen. And since then, it's progressed to the entire screen being green. So when it should be white. So, yeah, I've and uh, yeah, I'm pretty unsuccessful in this video. It uh, things just go from bad to worse. So. At least you're using chip quick. <laughs> hey, that's I, actually I, I, I wrote a little comment in my notes here for the, the news. And it was a question for you, Ken, actually. Yeah. Uh, and it says, let's just say, Ken, did you record this on Friday the 13th? <laughs> uh, when was Friday the 13th? Uh, Friday. Last Friday. Not this past Friday, but the Friday before. Okay. Um, uh, no, uh, I think I might have recorded part of it. Why? Because you seem cursed. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm I'm constantly <laughs> cursed when I work on my Cocos. It seemed like it especially hated you that day, though. Yeah, well... Yeah, who knows what's going on? So, uh, I got a few. I've got a few ideas for uh, trying to fix it. But um... yeah, and have you thought about taking something easier like Commodore sixty fours? Uh, I've got some videos coming up on that too. <laughs> <laughs> and how's your success rate? Maybe the Coco isn't for you. <laughs> uh, Actually, I've, I've, I've. Got a not bad record with my Cocos. It's just this particular one and my one Coco 3 seems to always have things go wrong with it when I work on them. Yeah. Well, just, just to counter Mark there, let's look at your next video where you oh, okay. did have complete success where things and work. even got a compliment from the original owner. Exactly. Hey there, I'm Ken. This is Canadian Retro Things. So and I hope you can shut my voice off there. Okay, let's fast forward a bit. We'll go. So yeah. here I am uh, trying to get the banker board working, which um, in the first video, I found that there was uh, some corrosion on the one capacitor and the one um, uh, resistor. So I tried replacing those and it didn't help in the least. 
And so yeah, I this checked, is starting to sound like your previous video. Yeah, but I checked all the connections. Everything was working fine. Like there was no problems with any of the connections. My next thought was that I had a dead chip. So I pulled the chips out and I was going to uh, kind of uh, take a look and see uh, if I could uh, test them in another machine to see if they're working or not, which is when I found something interesting, which uh, I'm very, very lucky that I spotted because I could have ordered new chips and everything else and it would not have happened because it wasn't the chips that went bad. It wasn't the board that went bad. It was the chip holders that went bad. Yeah, the actual socket was... The sockets, yep. So I'll find that part here. You so because I, I had been testing the connections on the solder point and they were all fine, except that you can see the uh, two pins closest to the uh, capacitor there. Both are bent in. They weren't making connections with the chip anymore, so... These things is not like the other... I'm just lucky that when I, I took, looked at those really closely when I pulled the chips out because I could have gotten new chips, stuck them in, they still wouldn't have worked. And Yeah, so you ended up replacing the sockets, basically put the chips, yeah. the original chips back in, and then it worked. Yep. Now, unfortunately, the demo programs that come with it aren't the most impressive things. I'll show them just briefly here so people can see, but uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to come up with a better one. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm just teaching myself how to program this thing is the documentation fairly good for that i didn't really look at it at close because i couldn't uh, get it wrong, so. tells you <laughs> it tells you what the different commands do but i don't really have a background in programming so it's like okay the the commands will do this kind of like uh when before you could do this and it's like okay now i have to go back and find out how to do that other thing before i can do the <laughs> This is where you had the switch backwards, where you thought you were testing yeah, six. It was the only sixty-four. The whole time I was doing this, I was I had the switch backwards in my mind. So when I went to test it on the sixty-four uh, K, I accidentally already had it on two fifty-six K, which kind of surprised me that it worked. <laughs> so the demo it's doing here is that with all the extra RAM two hundred six K, you can fit how many? Is it one hundred and 34 p 131 screens? screens or something like that graphic screens on two color just a sec uh oh, i don't have the manual near me anyways one of the things that it actually suggests in the manual is that you could pre-draw a ton of different like say adventure game screens and stuff and just plop them right into memory just boom and have them ready to go Yeah, because here on the screen it's mentioning it's got 40 pages, 61.4K transferred to screen one from the banker using the patched PCOPY 134 program. Now I notice it's not doing the it's it's you know a little bit faster than loading off disk, but it's it's not super quick. That's a place to use stack blasting we just talked about on Coco Town. Mm -hmm. uh, that if I rewrote whatever patch he did there to use stack blasting, I could definitely speed that up a fair bit. Um that would just make it unreadable readable though. <laughs> No, but if you wanted a game, you want to have to watch it draw for yeah. a quarter of a second. You can just go blink, and there it is. Because I'm guessing that the uh, VDG has no idea this extra RAM exists, and there's no way for it to see it. So that basically, if you want it onto your video screen, you're going to have to copy it back off the uh, extended 256K. 
Well, now, I'll, we mentioned, uh, well, actually, maybe uh, you probably already read Shane's response to you because he was yeah. talking about what he used it for. And I'll let you say that. Um, I'd have to bring that up again. Uh, and I should mention they the JNR also made a 512k version of this board too. But yeah, most people, Mark B has. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A different company made a one make board. I remember too. Uh, Micro RGS, I think it was called. Or did Disto have it? No, not on the Coco One and Two. I don't think. So Shane said that Shane, the person that originally owned this computer said that uh, he's pretty sure the only thing he used it for was as a RAM disk. Yeah, that's about all I ever used it for. Yeah. Did you read I his have... comment as to why? Because programmers get impatient. <laughs> <laughs> Which is appropriate. Nick, do you use RAM disks in your development? Nah, none. I had a RAM disk on my first Coco 1. It was called uh, 128K the easy way. Did anybody ever hear of that? Was that, that was an article in either Rainbow or Color Computer Magazine, wasn't it? Was that the bubble memory one? No, it wasn't bubble memory. Okay. It was actual RAM on a on a card. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm That's a really in... beautiful screen to stop on. <laughs> <laughs> what a it's, picture. It's, it's part of the Halloween. Uh, yeah, it's a Halloween year. picture. What you looking at? There, is that better? What's the matter you? <laughs> Hey, I'm walking here. Come on, That's his impression of a New Yorker. (laughs) I'm innocent. What do you want from me? Really, if you want to see two videos where I'm ready to start lighting my hair on fire like Curtis was soldering, then, uh, yeah, the two I did this week. Yeah, but one was unsuccessful and one was completely successful. You got the banker board fully working, so. That's a pretty good record, I think. Yeah, yeah, and the fifty percent a good week. Yeah, yep, fifty percent. I'm I'm good yeah. with that. <clears throat> and that was good sleuthing, figuring it was the actual sockets that had bent pins inside that was causing the problem. Yeah, that's something I never would have. I don't think I've ever looked for. So, something I've got to keep in mind in the future. <laughs> anyway, go to his uh, YouTube page if you're not already subscribed. Go subscribe to it, Canadian Retro Things, and uh, give him a full walk through. You know, watch the whole thing. And so these little clips we're doing here. You can watch the uh, discovery phase as well as the testing phases. Et and the, I, I quit. I think I sounded pretty giddy when it actually worked. Yes, you were <laughs> excitable, I would say. Because <laughs> especially considering the fact that I thought I was testing 64K and it was actually set to the 256. And, and when it yeah. worked, it was uh, a big shock. Yeah. I should mention <clears throat> the reason there's a switch that you can flick between 64 and, and 256 is that some programs would not work with 256K because it's got these extra banks if you write to the um, SAM in certain spots that would do things that a normal 64K Google wouldn't do, which would cause crashes, et cetera. So it's a compatibility thing. It's kind of like the modern 2 meg upgrades have the option to go back to 512, you know, and in, in either through a poke in software or a jumper or something like that. For the same reason, because, you know, like Sierra games, for example, because they don't keep copies of what they think the gimme's doing. They just, you know, blindly write. Now, the original gimme, you could write six, you could write all eight bits, but only six would be able to read back. And they would give you different results on a one or two make machine. That did cause problems. A lot of the Sierra games broke, as an example. So that's the same reason they 
have this little switch you can go back and forth. So you could run Telewriter 64 without it crashing or whatever the program was. Hey, right, go check out Ken's page and check out the videos. Next up, uh, Justin D. Morgan. We've covered him before. So he does these live streams a couple times a week covering a whole bunch of different retro systems. And retro for him can get up into the 1632-bit era as well. Uh, but he was kind of doing some cleanups here. He's trying to finish some projects off. So he had installed a composite upgrade, and then he discovered he had a yellow bar covering a good chunk of the left side of the screen. So he thought it was the 555 timer, replaced that, did nothing. And then he went through and replaced some, a resistor, a capacitor, and something else. I can't remember off the top of my head. One of those did it because <laughs> he did them all once without going back and forth. Um, but the quality was still pretty crap for composite. Um, so what he did here is he heard that uh, a Allen of 8C's 8-bit zone has uh, for sale some kits or completed uh, modern versions of a composite out which is a lot cleaner. So he ordered one of those. He wasn't planning on doing a video on it this week because he just literally ordered it on Monday. Then he discovered that Alan actually lives pretty close to him. So he got it like within a day or two. So he said, oh, heck, I'll throw it back on. And that's what this stream here is about. So he's... Uh... The Coco 2 is basically in the same exact condition as we left off with it last time. Which... So I will skip ahead a little bit. So that there is the original composite mod he did with all these little alligator clippy things. And I think, if I remember correctly, um, Rickard, one of you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's a Mark Data Products style universal adapter. And then what he's holding his hand here, the blue one, that's Alan's new one, which actually adds the composite and mono switch, uh, as well as, you know, it's much tighter fit. And it's actually lined up specifically. You, you get different models depending on which Coco 2 you have. He's got a vertically oriented RF can, but it's actually designed to replace the RF can complete. You pull the RF can complete out, it mounts in the same spot. And the switch and the connector for the actual wire for the composite monitor actually come out lined up with ports on the original Coco. So there's no case modifications needed. It just lines right up. And he's got different versions for different versions of the Coco 1 and 2. So he went through and did all this. And the results are actually pretty good. Let me see if I can fast forward here. But it's a nice solid green. There's not a bunch of worry patterns. That actually looks pretty clear. What she was getting with the original composite board he installed, which was a kit one you can get off the web too. I think that's actually a uh, oh another square for gets hat. Yeah. And uh, he shows the uh, the mono here, like here's showing the Coco STC. uh, It actually looks pretty good. Um, odd with the clip. Let me, let me. Still fixed. There we go. So this looks a lot clearer as well. I no think it's a touch oversaturated still, but you can adjust and that on the monitor, et cetera. The screen but if you is, looked at his previous I mean, one, was using that other see, um, I mean, alligator clip version. Like you couldn't even read half the, the text. It was so fudged out. It's a composite mod. And he's got a little clip here a little bit later where he actually shows the uh, composite mono. And the mono, I can see you using, if you had Telewriter or something, you would definitely would switch to that because it made 
black and white made it so much easier to read. Even then, this yeah, improved composite color. Martin Mack was asking. You can find it. Editor. Right. Yeah. The, my uh, first computer. Riveting for audio listeners, and I, know, I apologize. But it's hard to pinpoint a drag over a four hour video. <laughs> possible that was trying to compare the yellowing of the case because it's slightly yellowed but his camera's picking up more white than it really was that was a question from the chat okay so you got a color reference every spray you can see there it just fits in right into the same wiring that the original rf can went into and the switch and stuff lines up the case perfectly Alan does good stuff. That's the what one I'm that saying. told me about. Actually, you can. Uh, uh, maybe I can fast If you watch here. AC. I just want to show you guys the uh, the monochrome output because it uh, it surprised me how good it looked. Because I've seen the marked data style ones, and they were still a little bit fuzzy. And and YouTube's probably not going to cooperate today. Yeah, check out the video. It's four hours long. It's uh, around the hour and ten to twenty mark. He probably did the uh, composite one, but it looks really good. Still shorter than our show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, and I'm hoping one of you people on the panel can help me with this because there was announcement of another patch for VCC, another update, uh, version 2.1.8.1. Um, the first thing that they mentioned, and they go into pretty extravagant detail in the README here, is the new version numbering system they're going to be using. So you can tell exactly what level of an update patch it is, depending on which digit you're talking about. It goes through a nice explanation. There's one read out here. But then it mentions minor bug fixes and then doesn't mention at all what they were. Has anybody here downloaded this or knows what exactly got changed? What what got fixed? Anybody? Downloaded it. Have no idea what the fixes are. Seems to work pretty good on most things. Bueller. Rick, any <laughs> anybody? You haven't tried it? Well, no, I have not got to it then. Nick, Nick, have, like you try to keep your VC up to date because that's kind of your preferred emulator platform. Have you tried this one and noticed any difference? Um the latest one, yeah, I haven't noticed any difference. I've put it on, but it looks much the same. I don't think he fixed up. There's too many changes in it. Yeah, I don't think there is either. But I, you know, if you're doing updates, I'm, please put what you've updated into the read. Right. <laughs> like the versioning number yeah. is interesting, and it will help in the future, so you can tell what kind of you're looking at as far as you know, was it a major release, is it a minor release, is it a side fork. Good Some stuff. of the changes were with the high-res characters for Wayne Campbell. They they spent quite a bit of time going through all the different conversions between the character value and which character shows up on the Coco 3, and there were some differences. And it's kind of spanned emulators, so there's been some changes for that for a number of emulators. Oh, okay, so that's part of what they have to do. Okay, that's good to know. 
I, th- I think I feel, remember, they were saying like certain European characters weren't showing up or something. Wasn't that the issue or showing up in the wrong spot or something? They're, yeah, they were in the wrong spots and some were missing. Okay. I don't know how many of us use those commonly, but uh, I definitely want that working, especially for European users that will be using those characters. Oh, yeah, free download. Go to get off the uh, GitHub. The uh, link is in the show notes on the Discord. This one I'm definitely going to have Alan talk about because I didn't get a chance to follow this. So there was the announcement earlier on Facebook and elsewhere on our Discord of UJ Basic arrives for the Cocoa 3. We kind of covered it a little bit last week where the first official support for the Cocoa 3 is now in UG Basic, which is a uh, basic that uh, basic compiler that's hosted on modern machines. So it compiles really fast, et cetera, and then generates output for a variety of older machines, including now the Cocoa 3. Um, but there's been so many messages going in the UG basic channel on our discord, like literally dozens and dozens of messages a day of things going back and forth with testing and changes and updates that I've completely lost track. What's happened in the last week. I'm hoping Alan, you can help explain what all stuff's been updated, bug fixed, optimized, whatever else has happened. So there's three different projects this past week that we're talking about different approaches in micro game basic ug basic so you've got trs eric is working on a project you got pete willard working on a project you've got erico montero working on projects and some of the stuff that they found uh, working on their projects and these are not small test code programs these are they're trying to do whole coco games that they wrote before in color basic they're trying those out in micro game basic to see how easy it is or how hard it is to convert. And they're finding a lot of edge cases in this brand new Coco 3 support. So one of the edge cases involves keyboard detection uh, and all the different emulators were having problems with uh, various keys if they were running this micro game basic compiled code. And there, so there was some fixes to the key mapping that were done. Um, there was some fixes to the memory banking that is used to do high-res drawing. So uh, Pete Willard had um, part of his game was attempting to draw on the screen, but because of uh, the compiler making a, a, a rather strange choice in memory banking, it was basically ending up picking black on black to draw with, which didn't do a whole lot for the game. <laughs> nope. Uh, that got That got resolved. Um, and, and so there was a lot of questions going back and forth on how to represent more complex data types like arrays and step through them and things like that, that are being sorted out. And, and part of it is just learning how this, this basic dialect is different from how the, how, you know, Microsoft basic works, but, um, the, the programmer, Marco Spedaletti, has uh, he's spotless mind 1975 on the Discord. Uh, he is extremely responsive and uh, extremely on top of trying and, and to identify the problem and cutting a test version to try. And so that's where a lot of the traffic came from, is everything going back and forth. There's There were probably five different updates to the microgame basic compiler for Coco 3 just this week. Um, and the last one that came out uh, last night is um, 
basically Eric had reported that drawing sprites using the sprite command was a little slow and then probably maybe not very usable for a, a game yet. And Marco went to town on it and um, there another cold fix beta version dropped to, to try out, which improved the sprite speed quite a bit. And, you know, so they're testing, testing that as well. So uh, the last update um, from around noon today was Marco starting to work on disk file access commands. So not only are they patching things, they, they're, they're still pushing forward on, you know, more and more things supported by the microgame basic commands that get compiled. And apparently disk file stuff is next, which should help out a couple of the game projects that are currently underway. Cool. But they, yeah, he's, he, I've, I've noticed he's been superior, supremely responsive on, you know, acknowledging bugs or opening tickets on doing fixes. And then like a day or two later, all of a sudden there's a mention that, okay, here's, here's a one to try <laughs> type thing, which is, you know, much faster than I do stuff. That's for damn sure. Our UG basic forum on the Coco Discord seems to be a real hot spot. He seems to follow it really well. And so a lot of interaction and people keep feeding him stuff, which he seems to thrive on that. So things are getting progressed that are fantastic. Yeah. I'm the opposite. When you guys give report bugs to you, I just ignore them. Yeah, they go to the bottom of the stack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Nick, what bugs? Exactly. Um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Not an issue. Now, that's a feature. Yeah, I will mention a comment from six here because I did the exact same thing. He said, and uh, he did not know that the UG in front of uh, UG Basic stands for Micro Game Basic, and he's been thinking UG Basic in my head, and so have I. And that's not probably the greatest <laughs> yeah. acronym. That, but oh, it's like the micro with the this the U with a little thing on it, like for Micro Farad. Yeah, okay. Well, that is what it's meant to be, but I just assumed I saw the name is Ugg Basic, and as I, I thought maybe that was a, a bit of a, a catty thing, saying you know a lot of people used to downplay Basic as being a kid's language and you couldn't use it for anything serious. You should be using a real it's language, so like fourth or C or something. That that sounds like the noise that Charlie Brown makes when he tries to kick the football. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I pronounced it Ugg Basic this whole time too, and I'll have to correct that in my brain that it's Micro Game Basic. And adding in support for disk file stuff, that is definitely needed because the uh, the official ROM routines that uh, Tandy and, and Microsoft support are so minimal, they're almost useless. You have to like do the whole file structure yourself still because all it is is let you read and write sectors, basically. I'm so used to OS 9 having like a real operating system around that that it's so much easier to do. But if he's doing one that you can actually open a file and create a file and write to a certain record without having to figure out the you know, the granular allocation table and stuff to figure out where the heck on the disk it is so you can seek to the sector would make things a lot easier. Yeah, well, part uh, of the interest is also the fact that, that that when you build a tool like this, the fact that someone is actually attempting to use it for real projects is a huge help. Right. And, and the fact that this produces code for multiple machines I mean you could write a game if the graphics and stuff are fairly similar between platforms caveat, and use this to help convert it to the other platform, correct? Kind of. So one of the things I mean, not exactly, but it would be a lot less work than doing it manually. It could be. But one of the things about microgame basic is that it is an isomorphic language. And what that means is 
it has different commands for each of the micros. So if you stick with just the lowest common denominator commands that are the most widely supported, then yes, you could take the same micro game code, pass it through each of the compilers uh, and get out a different binary for each one of those platforms, kind of like Unifuto does. But if you're doing things where you're using the micro game commands that are specific to one platform and not supported by most of the rest, then no, that's going to make it a lot harder. So yes, theoretically it's possible, but it really does depend on what you're doing. Yeah, like for example, if you're running like an arcade game, like he's going to have you know software sprites in the Cocoa, you got hardware sprites on say a C64 or something. Um, but if you say have the SID chip playing stuff, well, you know there is no equivalent there. So the sound machines have to be done totally separately. Is kind of what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly. Correct. And Sixty put it very well in the chat. Portability is not the goal for the code. The goal of the microgame basic is exposing your specific platform's hardware to commands that you can take advantage of into a compiled binary. Okay. Right. And the performance looks like that. I, I saw a couple little uh, demos of some like get put buffers that look like a sprites or something where he's right. been improving the speed, et cetera, here. So it's actually getting close to Mr. Dave's sprite demo we covered last week with, with a much expanded basic. Correct. And yeah, it gets With faster, the, it gets smoother, it gets less buggy basically every day. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying, Curtis, about the, uh, you thought it always was Ugga basic, which is what I also thought too. Why why do they use the letter U to symbolize NM? Is U Latin? Like a, a U? Yeah, it's like supposed a Latin. to be with the... Long the extra long yeah that's what i was i was getting to because the greek letter for m is just like a u but it's got the long left leg that's what yep. it's so that's about. an m yeah but by taking that leg off yeah it's a u so i was reading oh, there you go. <laughs> 60s yeah so the chat. <laughs> i gotta use Cause that you, yeah because a special chat. symbol is hard to type that's right <laughs> All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Because I always read it "ug basic," and I thought "ug" must be bad. Ugh. Well, that, that was like, like, like I said, everybody used to deride "basic" for doing anything serious. So people go "ug basic." Uh, I thought it was a tongue-in-cheek thing, but no. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Isn't that the same symbol they use for like microfarads or whatever? It's yeah, like a, yep. Yeah, yep. I just which means micro U or the. Uh, but they put the little leg on there, don't they? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a regular U. It's got an extra long right-hand yeah, side line. Yeah, it's got an extra long on the left. Even books That's... and schematics and things, if they didn't have that special font at the printer, you would see that they have a U, and it would say somewhere in the text, microfarad, micro, you know. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, Frank Franklin Harris oh, okay. in the chat saying it's from Greek for the word, or it means small. Yeah, and it's micro. A Greek letter. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, it's Greek, and I do believe that you can type. You can type that. Uh, you have to hold down Nowadays. the Alt key and do zero one eight one on your numeric keypad while holding down the Alt key, and you'll get it. Yeah, yeah. and I can't remember. Is that one of the built in the Gimme font? Is that character in there? I can't remember. That might be one of the ones that cracked in VCC this week. For all I know, <laughs> it's probably in some of the graphical fonts. I would guess because we have a few two two hundred twenty four character fonts in there, so I'm pretty sure it'd be in there. I would have stuck with the actual English letters, MG Basic. 
to make it clear. And then it's milligram basic. Well, Why yeah, not just spell it out? Put micro game basic. Then it's self-explanatory. Well, yeah, and there's nothing else to worry about. That would well, be much short. For, exactly, short forms. Yeah, they lead to too many interpretations. Yeah, that's like uh, when the word dev was coming out for development. It's like, what? What is dev? Yeah, <laughs> dev null. <laughs> it's an insult, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Frank is telling you how to do it in Unicode, which which character code it is for Unicode. Of course, we don't have Unicode in the Coco because uh, the mm. Unicode <laughs> character set would fill most of RAM. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, next up, uh, Boise Pete. We talked about uh, he got level one running on the F-256 Junior platform, which is kind of a, a hobbyist 6809 base, though it's not a real 6809. I believe it's a you know an FPGA equivalent of type thing. And now he's done a little quick second showing or a quick uh, couple second video here showing that level two is now running on this platform. So you can get beyond 64K. Um, doesn't do much except drill the, the main boot sequence here. So I'll just quickly play it. But And you got options to boot. Oops, I didn't pause in the right spot there. But you can see Nitrous 9, 6809, level 2, version 3.3.0 on the Phoenix um, F256. So this is a hardware project that basically has a um, hardware emulated 6809 running at over 6 megahertz. So this is over double the speed of a Gimme X maxed out type thing. So you could probably do some pretty cool stuff with this. And for those of you interested in the project, we covered it last week, but this is the actual project page itself for the hardware if you want. Um and has extended RAM and a bunch of other things on it too. So it's it's not just a straight CPU and a little bit of RAM type thing. It's a much fuller thing than that. And there's different cores you can get. There's uh the 6809 is not the only one they emulate. There's 6516 or what is it? The 6516. That sounds the right number. The 16-bit version 6502. The, um, uh, and a few others. The yeah. I just couldn't remember the part number. 65816 or something? C18. C18. Thank you. And you can you you can change the the RAM if you want some RAM upgrades. You can do 65CO2, 65C816, or the FNX6809. Uh, Wi-Fi module if you want that pre-installed because you actually and you can did boot notice it from what the cost of the 6809 upgrade was, right? Sorry, what? Go pull down and look at the cost of the 6809 upgrade. <laughs> $68.09. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I want a 6309 because it's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Save five bucks. <laughs> I'm going to save five bucks for that one. Is it's that a, it's a cool pay? project. I don't know what, I haven't looked at this too much to figure out like what it has for graphics support. Obviously, it has some pretty high text support or text character support, but it could make I, for an I interesting. Assume, Sorry, was that? I assume the white. There'll be no GUI for the 6809 one, obviously. I don't see why you couldn't make one. I, I, I don't know what it has Someone for a graphics has to make chip one, or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right now it's basically just the basic level one and the basic level two are running on it. And then level two lets you support beyond 64K. So I've got a Coco 3 for that. Or a Coco FPGA is another option. Or what is uh, Roger Taylor's called? Matchbox. Yeah. Next up, I was hoping Sloopy was going to be on the show for this one because um, one of his friends, 
the one in the upper right corner, Frederick. Uh, he's uh, from Quebec, I believe. I am. Um, French is his native language. Uh, and he's got a channel called Micro Hobbyists Retro Homebrew Computers. And he actually builds his own homebrew computers, kind of like the Phoenix project we just saw earlier. And uh, he's done a lot of stuff with 6502. He's done some stuff with uh, Z80 slash Z80. And uh, Sloopy was on there kind of hyping up the Coco stuff. And then they grabbed me and threw me on there to ask questions about OS9 and Flex and a few other things too. So that's why you I see me in the lower corner. Downhill from there. Yeah, I was going to say, it hey, looks familiar Curtis. down there. <laughs> Yeah, and Sloopy's up here in the middle. I mean, he was on there way before I I get invited in the end here just to talk about six eight nine, six or nine, so that Frederick I think between Sloopy now we've got him interested enough, he's going to attempt to do a six eight nine or six three nine version of this. Can anyone this upgrade? Hello? What Hello? was that? Hello. Oh, yeah. hey. Hi, Sloopy. He's looped in. <laughs> I am here. Oh. <laughs> when when did you when sneak you in? Put the cat dragged in. When my <laughs> computer finally decided to work. <laughs> so anyway i i joined this quite late so do you want to kind of give some background here beyond what i just said yeah basically frederick he's a um another canadian he's in uh what is that town montreal i think i've thought whatever it is the one that's east of toronto the big one east of toronto um and he's done uh single board machines based on the uh, 6502 and z80 and he was thinking about what to do next and uh people were talking about uh, various processors and i recommended that he do the 6809 next so that he did the trifecta of the three main 8-bit uh cpus and so that's what he's going to do uh he oh that's has, official now he has decided that he was kind of like asking me questions about well, what could you do for an osford for example so yeah he he's he's bought bought cpus and such so uh cool. yeah because he was uh, on the fence about what to do and he was considering doing another one some other un unimportant cpu and uh <laughs> aren't the all the other ones unimportant really right right Good <laughs> that's right he's already done two unimportant ones it's time to do a real cpu except yeah. for the 6502c they are unimportant and uh so basically he's He's uh, in the works of doing uh, the 6809, I guess. Cause... Yeah, or 6309. I think we almost convinced him of that from what I remember on the conversation. But Or is he going, going for pure Motorola at this point? No, he's 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 bu he bought both. So he's okay. Oh, nice. 6309. Uh, but the thing is, is he's he wants to do a three megahertz system. So he pretty well needed 63C09. That. Yes. So, because I don't think he's going to be able to find a uh, Coco three with a uh, with a Gimme X. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah, the six three CO nine is actually generally overclocked to four and five pretty easily. So, I mean, he could even probably crank it to four and without any effects. Is that what they used in the old video games? Uh, they, they generally like, use six eight oh nines in the old video. Like you're talking like right. the Williams ones, like Defender and Joe's. Yeah, they were like five megahertz, weren't they? Nope. No, one and a half. Straight up stock, yeah. Really? Well, yep. Some of the later ones then were. Yeah, if they're using them like for extra I.O. boards and stuff later on, I think there were a few that did crank it up a bit. I mean, officially mm -hmm. Motorola only sold one, one and a half, and two megahertz six eight oh nines. And uh, okay. Atachi officially sold one, two, and three. 
for the 6309. Hmm. But Atachi itself has, has said, you know, that, you know, they, they generally tend to overclock fairly yeah. well. You can usually get five, four or five six, out of it. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, thanks for inviting me on that, Sleepy, and uh, that was that was a fun discussion. Yeah. How long? How long did they wind up going? One and a half hours. Oh. Yeah. I but... tell you, all the popular shows here—they're all like really long. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the shows with the, with with Curtis are the popular. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the common factor. <laughs> they're really long. <laughs> this is normally an hour-long show. I got me on now. It's four and a half. <laughs> Oh, Julian Brown in the chat says, I was pushing for 6892, but I guess he didn't want to talk to me. I didn't even know Julian was around for that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that um, I don't I don't just talk to him during shows and such. I actually talk to him uh, during other times. Like, uh, you know how in the Discord uh, we get together and talk? Um, yes. Coco. Uh, he and I are on another Discord, and he and I talk a lot. So it wasn't just me pushing him during... During on his uh, on his inaugural stream, so it was also uh, while we were talking in uh, just general chatting and hanging out. So uh, it was. We'll, we'll get him converted yet. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> so much a um, a discussion and a convincing. It was more along the lines of um, outright uh, coercion on the uh, on the uh, borderline <laughs> of abuse. <laughs> That's so you're saying you lobbied be. him for quite some time <laughs> good job yes i explained thoroughly why that's what you did Politi political th uh lobbying <laughs> so anyway that that's a, a new channel for him doing live streams and he's playing i don't know did he have a schedule how often he's playing doing these live streams no i think it was more of a he scheduled it to, to discuss it and he's going from there I don't think he has a regular schedule for anything. Yeah. And you guys might recognize some of the other people besides myself and Sleepy on the call here too, like uh, Joe Joe's Computer Museum. He's done stuff with Cocos before. Uh, Geek with Social Skills has just been recently doing some Coke stuff. In fact, he's got a new video dropping on Sunday, which I'll be covering next week. That's Coco related. And Frederick, obviously, we're getting interested in the 609. I can't remember Gut Bomb. He's, uh, he's an Apple guy, isn't he? Yes, he's a Apple and uh, mostly Macintosh guy. Do you think it's a problem when uh, these guys that are used to um, programming the 6502 and the uh, um, C80 then turn to 6809, do you think? I mean, Nick no. did that, right? With no, the, it's not a problem. Yeah, it's like a relief. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I've got registers now and they're 16 bits. Why right? didn't I, I do math. this before? Two stacks. Two stacks. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Frederick actually said when uh, Curtis was explaining <laughs> to him the uh, layout of the CPU on the 6809. Yeah. Right. I didn't even get into all the 6309 stuff that got added. <laughs> so, in other words, yeah. it won't be hard for him to shift. No, the, the, the no. hard part is a shifting your thinking because you write like on a 6502 because you only have 8 bit registers, index registers. If you're accessing a data table or something that's bigger than that, it's self-modifying code basically to get around all this stuff. And you have to think that way. No matter what you're doing, you have to design it with that in mind. And if you're on a six out of nine with proper 16-bit offsets, you would do your table setups completely different to make them optimal. And a lot of the ports for the Cocoa that were originally were done in a rush from 6502, like Rescue and Fractalus, Cronus Rift, et cetera, 
you can tell they came from a 6502 because the data tables are still set up the 6502 way. And on a Cocoa, they actually run slower and less efficient that way, which is one of the you know things when I sped up Rescue Fractals 12% on the 6809 was just flipping those tables around. You can find um, that in Color Basic as well. Yeah. That's neat. But yeah, the, so basically you have to kind of, you have to learn the 6809 to think, yeah, oh, I could do this much better if I did it this way. Because you, the nice thing about 6809 is it's, it's got so many index modes, et cetera, that you can basically convert from other chips fairly easily if you just need to do a quick conversion, like quick and turnaround time to program it. But if you want to make the program more efficient running-wise, then you have to actually sit and think a little bit and kind of get outside the box of the 6502. And, and you have to remember that all those other registers are there, that you've got four different 16-bit index registers to play with. All right. If you programmed on a 6502 a lot, there's only A, X, and Y, and you forget about all those other useful registers until mm -hmm. you come back and look at your own code and go, what the, why didn't I just <laughs> ABX this? Yeah, why didn't uh, I just use you here? And uh, yeah. Or you can ignore that. all that and just say, yeah, 6809 is no better than my 6502. See, I've proven it. So, so was uh, 8088 pretty uh, rough to program? I mean, uh, um, not particularly. Or, or as it got, uh, to be a 386 and 486 that gets ugly <laughs> yeah. were, indexes. the 386 is actually nicer once you get it into flat memory mode the yeah. problem is is that it doesn't start that way so you start off basically having to wrestle a, a, a 1970s processor to act like it's 1990 and that can go wrong on you quite a bit because it took a while for just even a 20 gating to work right so yeah, there's well, it, it's doable. There's once the x86, once you get enough of the instruction set there, it, it's not any different really than anything else. But in the earlier ones, like the, the early 8080s and the Z80s stuff, you miss a lot of very fundamental math and it makes you think in some really funky ways. Oh, I need to multiply by something. So I'm gonna add two 32 times. Or some, just to get there. And and yeah, so you, you end up with some very strange modes of thought in some corners with the yeah. other process. I, I think 60 in the chat has said it best. He, he thinks it's a problem for them to go back. And that's what I experienced. Because I did my yes. very first assembly programming on a 6502 because that's you know that's all we had at school. And then when I got my Cocoa and started learning 6 and I was going, oh, wow, I've got a 16-bit accumulator. I, can, I even have a hardware multiply command. And then you go and you write some cool routine and you decide to go show your friends at school in 6502 and you go, oh, I have to do this all in software now. I got to self-modify to get this stupid uh, X register to work. And How do I fit all this back in the zero page only? Uh... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to go back because you get spoiled, basically, is what I'm, we're trying to say. So I'm glad to hear he's actually going forward to that. I'll definitely have to keep keep me posted on that slippy. Maybe some of us can help him out. Oakley, Oakley. Speaking of 609 assembly language, oh. a familiar name from our past, George Jansen. Now, you may remember him from such hits as the 609 programming course that we did, what, about two years ago now, I think? Yeah, uh, also, if you guys have played the port of the 2048 uh, web-based game that he did for the Google 3 recently, that's now in the archive and also on my site. Um, he did that one as well. Of course, he did the old pack utility from back in the 80s. And a bunch of other things. He's got a bunch of other products too. We actually had some demos that uh, he uh, sent up that I talked about last week too for doing Starfield moving and stuff there, just so people want to grab them and take a look at. And it must but be he's actually... something about 6809 programmers and in, in cool cars because 
George has a <laughs> whole cool car thing going on, sort of like Nick. <laughs> so anyway, what he's done here is he's creating a 6809 assembly course again, going through his starting stuff, and uh, he's done a little teaser video. He hasn't got anything you know fully out there yet, but I thought I'd play it. It's no talking head thing or anything. It's just some slides that he shows. It's only 23 seconds. I'll play the whole thing. But can I give you a teaser of what's coming up? Is there any audio? No. Nope. He's even got Nitrous 9 mentioned, which was pretty good. So, as he mentions on the last slide, <clears throat> 6 and 9 assembly language programming for beginners for the Radishack Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. So, it's going to be Cocoa specific. And he, if, you, if you're on the audio there, he flashed stuff like the Leventhal book. He flashed like a Chromaset magazine because there was some programming uh, and assembly done on that. Tape magazine back in the day, uh, doing cross-assembly with LWASM and stuff. Um, and then a little bit on Nitrostein because, you know, there's certain things you do a little bit differently under Nitrostein than you do in a pure disk basic. But yeah, he's got a whole series getting planned here. So look forward to that. Hopefully we'll have him come on the show and promote it properly once he gets his first episode up. And um, definitely that's check out his 2048 game. That's fun. And also check out the uh, demos that he put up on the Discord uh, showing some you know, experiments he did during COVID. Sorry, Alan, you were saying something? Uh, that's just fantastic news. And uh, from his previous series that he did, there was some very interesting little side roads in the subroutines and things that he was working on that, uh, you know, he just showed how to make some things pretty freaking effortless. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Cool. Yeah. Next up, this is a rather interesting one. I haven't had a chance to finish watching it because <clears throat> it's in uh, a foreign language, of course. And this, uh, we've covered this channel before. This is Retro Computo. And uh, basically, you'll have to turn the, the translator on, the closed captioning in, in YouTube. But basically, this is a half-hour special on the history of Tandy and in particular the Coco in Colombia. And one thing he mentions near the beginning of the video, which I thought was pretty cool, um, he said that the most popular computer series in Colombia during the 80s, during the home computer revolution, was the Ataris. But second was the Cocos. It was not Commodore. It was not Apple but the Cocos were the second most popular in Colombo. And uh, like I said, I haven't had a chance to fully watch this to see what it, all he goes through in here, but uh, I'm going to be right after the show's over because I started watching and then discovered, oh, the show's starting. I probably should quit doing this and actually get ready. <laughs> so, uh, but what I saw so well, far is actually quite interesting. Isn't Cocoa a, a word in Colombian or means something? Well, he or... calls it Radio Shack, Tandy Radio Shack color computer here. So, all right. Uh, okay. I think he does refer to it as Coco. There's a couple of foreign language ones here that are on this week that I'll be covering a couple more just shortly here. So I can't remember if he's one of the ones that called it Coco or not. I'm just wondering if Coco is a is a common word or name or whatever in Colombia. That's maybe why the Coco was uh, popular. Oh, maybe. I never thought of that. That could be. Do you think um, since it was like that, they would have more software that we've never seen? That's possible. That, you know, that's in a different language, but... That's entirely possible. And they probably started out with cassette, right? Like everybody here did. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because now the, he's, he's uh, showing stuff the... before disk drives and stuff. Like he's he's aware of the modern 
stuff that's happening too. And he's aware of the Cocoa Three, etc. So, well, did their version of Cocoa have the English ROM, or is it uh, their native language? ROM? That's a good question. I can't remember off the top of my head. And like I said, I'm feeling finished watching this one, so I don't know if he actually does any demos of the actual machines, or if he just talks well, about in Mexico, them. They had custom ROMs with the few yeah. custom. Like there's an MC10. I wonder if uh, somebody's listening can tell us. Coco one, older one. Anyone? The... Anyone? Erica, okay. ask Erica. Yeah. Is he from he's from Brazil though, not Colombia, isn't he? No, yeah, but he he might have an idea. I like the fact that they were made at Ford World in Texas, according to Google Translate or YouTube Translate. Yeah, that's. A I'm sure Mark's just turning, just twist, you know, getting his guts twisted and not reading that. <laughs> no, because if you are in Texas, one thing you will notice is that it is Ford World. There is a bunch of freaking Ford trucks here. Oh, is there? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how actually pretty funny. I like it. Ford World in Texas. How unfortunate. Okay, so what is? Yeah, you're talking to a Jeep guy, Ron. I get it. Ram here. Yeah, he's bringing out like you know the deluxe joystick. He's got the cassettes drives from the time. He's got a multi pack. Here he's going through the Coco Three. So obviously they you know they got them there. I don't know if they were officially sold there. If that was something they had to import, I like say on chance. He's got a fan Pardon on me? there. You see the fan on it? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 He didn't put it in the case like we did in ours at work, but eh, extraction. It's good. I guess that's not modifying the case too much. You can just kind of slide it into those slots. Hmm. So, yeah, once I get finished watching, I kind of report back on it next week in, in case people didn't get a chance to watch it themselves here. And I can kind of mention it. You know, hey, was the Coco 3 sold in Columbia? I have no idea. And and we don't even know if it had the uh, shield under the vents. <laughs> No, he might cover that during this video. I have no idea. I haven't had a chance to watch you. But where you saw the marker when I started, two minutes, 30 seconds, that's as far as I got. And then so, yeah, I, I tried to watch it some, and it, it just got to be tough reading it, you know? So I think we're drawing Cocos and fans together over here in the chat. Um, <laughs> never mind. Maybe we should tell AI we would, we'd like to have it in English instead of reading. I don't think they know how to speak English, though, so that would be rather difficult. Yeah, I, I have no problem reading Colts captioning. I'm used to doing that here in Canada from French stuff. So, anyway, I'll, I'll check it out and I'll, I'll report back next week. But if you if you don't want to wait a whole week for me to to talk about it, then uh, definitely go check the the video. It'll be in the show notes. The link to it on, and then you still click on the little CC on the bottom here, Colts captioning. Now they've improved that. It used to be you had to select what source and destination language. Now it seems to be auto picking up. Because like the stuff I've covered this week here, there's some stuff in Spanish, there's some stuff in Portuguese, um, and yeah, it seems so, to be able to pick it up on its own now. So that's, well, that's since cool. you're logged in, it probably figures you're already English. Yeah, yeah, I'm logged in with my YouTube account. Speaking of another foreign language one, so this is uh, Retropolis, which is not one I think we've covered before. Now this seems to be a general audio talk show on retro computing in general like if you look at the actual description here you'll see it talk about the apple one and two the Atari 2600 sega master nes umc msx2 etc 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 now one thing they mentioned here and it's a very brief clip i'm not going to bother playing it because it's just audio translated onto screen anyway is that they plan a future 
project covering the Cocoa One Odyssey and the Dragon 64. So I'm going to kind of monitor this channel too, because it looks like they'll be doing a bit of a deep dive on those. And I'm kind of curious what they're going to say about that. And this is a Portuguese uh, YouTube channel. So I will keep you guys posted. Next up, hey Bert, which is a real name, Jeff in the Tandy uh, Discord uh, mentioned that he had done a, a video of uh, Tandy Assembly kind of just walking through all the booths and stuff. And that's covering every type of Tandy machine ever put out, basically. There's some Cocoa stuff. There's some Model 1 and 2, 3, 4, 4P, etc. There's Pocket Computers, Model 100s, Tandy 1000s, etc. I won't play the video here. You can just go check it out. Uh, but there's a, it's a pretty cool, and he's got some really good you know shots. Here. Like the background you could see on his little splash screen here is actually a Tandy 2, which is a remodeled Tandy uh, Model 2, which normally would say TRS-80 Model 2. This is says Tandy 2 because it's kind of a rebrand. And they were doing this back then for certain companies so that it, it you can kind of get it personalized. Um, it would still mention it was by Tandy, but you can kind of get your own plates and stuff done for it. Oh, yeah, I remember those. I think it was like an insurance company or something that was putting them out to their agents. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know too much about the specific details, but I remember they talked about it was a special rebranded one for a certain third party. So you can go check that out. Jim Gary got a little bit busy, so he did uh, Snoopy Curses Red Baron, which is a little graphic demo by Tom Casper originally in 1978. So this is going back two years before the Cocoa was even born, never mind the MC-10. Um, it was originally for the Tier City Model 1, written in January 5th, 1978, and appeared in the May 1978 issue of Kilobod Microcomputing Magazine. And it was altered by D.A. Goldman in April of 78. Now, for those of you not familiar with Kilobod, that was actually done by Wayne Green, who originally started Byte, 80 Micro, Hot Cocoa, etc. So that's the same guy that created that particular magazine. And I'll play it. It's just a little bit of an animation, a little cutesy thing with a little bit of color to it. the credits. I think he's using SG6 here. This might not be SG4 because pixels look square. Yeah. Hmm. So technically this is a 64 by 48 mode, not a 64 by 32. And he's going through the different color sets. Now that particular mode on the MC10 is restricted to, I think, three or four colors on the screen at once and you have your choice you know a couple of different sets which is kind of what you're seeing here but it gives you slightly higher res and a lot of not a lot but uh, several of uh, jim gary's games actually use this mode gives you a bit more vertical real estate robert sieg in the mc10 <clears throat> he says trying to document and add several useful things for the tp10 that's the thermal printer that tandy put out that uh one i call i i used to say you know tp stood for toilet paper because that's about the size of the rolls of paper um he said using my funny reader program i added a feature to it and i call it this heavy printing check out my pictures and this is a sneak peek so those of you who have seen the dot matrixy look of these printers they were usually pretty hard to read um but this actually looks pretty nice and clear and the reason he's getting that done is he's actually Got a little print routine that outputs the line, each line twice. <clears throat> the first one does a carriage return without a line feed, which basically returns it back to the beginning of the line. Then he prints the same thing again, this time with a carriage return. So basically he's double printing every line. So it burns into the thermal paper a little bit longer and a little bit hotter and makes the text 
more solid, not so dot matrixy looking. It's almost like comparing, say, a nine pin line printer to a twenty four pin, uh, where you get a lot off, clearer. Do you think he's offsetting the print just a pixel or something? I don't you think don't so. I think he's actually to. printing it exactly the same. It's just that right. you know, because it's mechanics, it's a little bit off. It actually burns in and spreads out a bit right. more. We pulled the same trick in dot matrix back back yeah. in the day. You do for the same bold thing print. twice, and it's a little off, and it comes out really nice. Yeah. It's kind of interesting too because the lines are coming out printed differently between each of the runs. So if you look at like line ten twenty six, it's all on one line on the left hand print, but the same line 1026 on the right hand, it put a return pretty much right up front. So the width is oh. different enough that it changed the way the lines break. Well, that, that particular one is because of his print routine, which he discovered after he did these samples. Cause he mentioned in the comments that basically what has happened there is he had his funny print routine, not only does the double right. print, but he also tries to do word wrap and that's what screwed that up. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. he, he gets to the end of the line and he hasn't found a space or anything, so then it kind of shifts word it differently. It, yeah. <clears throat> so he's going to fix that. He's going to take out the automatic word wrap stuff so that the, the printing's consistent between the two. But yeah, you can definitely see the difference. Like this looks lighter and more dot matrixy. It's probably hard to see. I probably can't zoom up quite enough. This looks more solid and, and higher quality. And it's the same printer. I mean, it's a physically it the same look printer. nicer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did this on the CGP220 actually back in the day. And then later somebody upgraded the ROM inside the printer itself to enable bold mode or do it internally. You just turned an escape sequence to turn that on. Yeah, I think Epson's would do that for you back in the day. And do of course, think, the uh, sorry, good. Do you think the paper's all the same? Because sometimes uh, you can run into paper that seems to be bright or white. And then when it turns, uh, when the heat hits it, you know, there's a little bit more um, contrast. I suppose. I, that I was know. probably printed on the same roll, though. Yeah, right. I would guess for this experiment, it probably was. Yeah. I don't know. I never had one that did the TP10s. I had a friend with a CGP115, the little pen-based one, about the same size paper, but it wasn't thermal. And then I had the CGP220 inkjet, you know, the one built by Canon. I never had one of these, so I don't know too many details about that. Yeah, I got one. I used mm -hmm. uh, fax paper, the eight-inch rolls, and cut it in half with a, a um, saber saw. <laughs> I never saw anyone that tried to fix a little thermal printer. We all just assumed, oh, they're garbage. That's all you can get. <laughs> this is yeah, the type of stuff they use in, like, you know, for printing receipts at, like, gas stations yeah, and exactly. supermarkets and stuff. When you so. get gas. Yeah. It's a little yeah. TP10 in there and a cocoa. But you can and I think you can still get the paper. Just... It's like Sam's or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's still used in retail enough. I think it's still, you know, manufactured. Maybe not the exact roll size right for this, but. Yeah, it might be, you know. A little bit off. Yeah, what was it last week? It was four and an eighth or four and a quarter, and then you've got so many millimeters, but they all kind of. You know what bugs me about it is, uh, you know, you print something out, you, you tear it off, and then it curls up. Mm. That's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, that was a pretty clever solution. I've never tried it on TP10 because I never had one, but I have done that on a CGP220. I've done it on a DMP. 105 or 106 or something like that, you know, where you basically print it twice. Poor man's bolding. Instead of having, you know, better quality 24 pin head or something like that, some of the Epsons and stuff had, you just uh, double printed stuff. Worked, the, thing about, the thing about doing receipts on thermal paper is because it fades, that helps limit the amount of time you can do something for warranty. Oh, right. Oh, tricky. <laughs> Plus, if you leave it up in the dash of your car on a sunny day, it's gone. It's even shorter. <laughs> 
I had no a DMP one ten, and that had a uh, bold font you could use that was darker. But you know, that's just regular paper and printing. Yeah. I love my uh, DMP one ten. It was pretty pretty good printer. It was nice Still and quiet it. too. That was a big yeah. selling point for it. Because if, you, if you've heard the DMP one hundreds and stuff like that, it's like oh yeah, uh, the one hundred five a jackhammer to your skull is basically what that and is. And the one hundred seven is uh, ditto to copy. I mean, the the big manas mentality and Petronics, like the industrial entrance we had at work, were so loud they actually had special cases with foam padding and stuff that we could close over it to try to muffle it somewhat and it was still really loud well that was like at burroughs they had chain printers they were in a separate room no one went there while yeah they were printing. and these were printer banks like they'd have 33 or 66 yeah. hammers on a vibrating thing going back and forth at super shuttle. high speeds just yeah shuttle that, yeah, uh, yeah the, thank you that was the term i was trying to remember yeah so the, the chain printer did 132 column line in one whack yep Yep, same with this. Yeah. They basically just went and then it would be done the entire line in one shot. And why do you think they made green bar paper? That was just to guide the eye when you're trying to go across a chart or something. That's right. Yep. Yep. Which is smart if you think about it. Yep. And then the daisy wheel printers, you had to pour a slab of concrete to put them things on. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it looked pretty. Across the room and smack a hole in the wall and head on out into the warehouse. For and and the Daisy Wheel printers came out with some pretty innovative ways of doing screen dumps. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next up, uh, onto the dragon now for a couple of stories. So the first one, Julian Brown, who I believe is still actually in our chat, uh, has been doing a lot of updates on Facebook and the Dragon Group. So I'll just cover them one at a time here. So the first one here is an update to the poll that we covered a couple of weeks ago where he's asking now that he's kind of got his dragon replacement motherboard fully up to snuff. He's even got it so you can put a little satellite board if you want PAL or NTSC. And he had a poll there. What kind of a sound chip would you like? Because there's a few options. There's AY chips. There's, um, you know, the OPL3 chips, et cetera. Um, so we kind of this is kind of the results and combined with what proposals he's got. So I'll just read it out loud here for those of you on audio. Quick update on the sound channels question I posted a couple weeks back. I'm toying around with seeing if I can make the choice of audio up to the user in much the same vein as the video cards. So an AY PSG option, a SID option, which is the sound chip on the Commodore 64, which is very good, and an OPL FM option. But the hard part is making the interface incompatible across all three. Now, it's hard for the AY versus SID choice, but the OPL is a little too different. Still possible, maybe. And Alan, can you know, you've gone through all these chips. So you probably know better than I do what the actual differences are. Um, obviously, this also needs some consistent language support to leverage it, but it shouldn't be too terrible, although it does mean patching ROMs or extending them with the external ROM slot. Not such a great choice. I now have a fourth option. To adapt the Pico Gus project, I'm not familiar with that one, to just provide some software-defined hardware. At one end in this in full PC form, provides top-level FM synthesis, Gravis ultrasound spec, and even MIDI interfacing, but being software-defined can be adapted to provide a PSG option. The computer interface would be fixed and then can be set to behave consistently, and it should radically reduce the ROM patching as a result. Still a long way to go, of course, but I feel I have a clearer way forward. So, Alan, uh, you're... Do you have any comments on the OPL versus AY versus et cetera? Well, yeah, that's what he, what, he, what he's talking about goes beyond just the differences in the pinouts, although there's quite a bit there. An AY and a SID are, are 
primarily programmed through registers and then begin kicking off the sound. And, and they're doing it all basically through square waves or sine waves or something that you've very easily defined. You just write to the register with the values you want to the for the kind of sounds you want to get, and you're done. The OPL fundamentally is the same idea, except there's a lot more of it. So when you're trying to adapt to a basic program, an AY chip, you can take the existing sound and play in Color Basic and have that program the AY chip completely. You pretty easily could do that with the uh, SID chip, but you would not be able to do that same reuse of play and sound command with an OPL because of the number of registers, numbers of options, and all these little weird caveats in the corner. So the NEC PC8000 and 6000 series computers did what I was talking about, where they adapt the play and the sound command to a different chip. So on the Coco, you have your color basic, you run sound, and it's just a timed loop. You run play. It's still basically just a timed loop, but it's done this uh, macro language processing first. They took that, and Microsoft made changes for the NEC machines where the sound command doesn't generate sound on those. Instead, it programs the AY registers directly. But the play command still plays, but it's playing through that AY chip in that yeah. machine and supports multiple voices, which the Coco doesn't. So that's kind of what he's talking about is that same patch that was used in N60 Basic on the NEC machines to change how the sound command and the play command work to work with a physical hardware chip, not hard to do. The OPL, way too much hell to do that because there's just so much programmer interface to those chips. Even the early ones, OPL one and two, not just the, uh, you know, those still have you know 60 something registers you're dealing with. There's really not a good, easy way you could get that to go in a basic program interface unless you had it pull up a whole little GUI application or something. Um, yeah. And then if you get into the OPL3 chip that's in the Mega Mini MPI, it's the equivalent of two OPL2s. So you've doubled your fun, and they don't work the same. One side works one way. The other side works slightly differently. And so it would take a lot of logic to deal with that. And that's what he's looking at. Yeah, so it'd probably be easier just to implement the three-voice, you know, SID or, or AY chip. If you're going to try to do PL3, you'd probably need a whole separate, you know, ROM or something that has its own little library right. dedicated to that chip to try to... Which the you... Pico Gus gives you, because the, the Pico Gus is the Gravis ultrasound card is that OPL monstrous oh. thing. Gosh, that was used in PCs. Oh, okay. That's but what I didn't know what that was. It had a reasonable programming interface, and there's a truckload of tooling out there for it already. So at the worst, you could convert stuff from Gravis Ultrasound over to this PicoGus-based dragon thing, even if you weren't using a programming language, uh, you know, like built basic extensions. Now we've got some comments from the author of this, uh, Julian Brown, in the chat here, so I thought I'd bring those up. Uh, important bit is that it is a new set of commands. The design retains the 6-bit DAC and would use the new language commands. Uh, Phantom 8-bit says sound, parameter 1, parameter 2, parameter 3, parameter 4, up to parameter 30. 
Uh, Mikey says uh, for Curtis Starr further back, the Pico Gus is an ISA card with a Raspberry Pi Pico microcontroller interfaced to ISA. The Pico is programmed to emulate a Gravis ultrasound or other sound cards, which is kind of what you just said as well. Yeah, there's, there's so many possibilities. That's why we have so many sound cards and standards. So for Julian, you know, for the audience, um, Jeremy Spiller, the author of Xenix and Crystal City, published an article in Rainbow called Superplay, which takes the Coco Play command and extends the music macro language to have a few more commands and then diverts play from the standard, you know, like one bit loop that it does by default to replay um, sampled sounds like you would have on the Orchestra 90 or, you know, to, to basically recreate full sounds on the 6-bit DAC. Um, so that might be kind of a, an option to start looking at as well, Julian, is the, the Superplay code. There wasn't a lot of it to start interfacing to basic there. Okay, that's good. That's a good point. That would be published in Rainbow too, wasn't it? Source and all. Yes, it was. That would be a good start then. And the Tandy 1000, didn't their basic have the extensions for doing multi-voice play as well? To the GMC, yes. Yeah. Anyway, that's only the first of the Julian Brown story. So I'm glad he's in the chat here so you can correct me when I'm wrong and everything. Next up, Rev3 boards have arrived with video boards and NTSC and PAL flavors. So the blue board you see underneath is the Rev3 motherboard for the Dragon itself. And then the red satellite boards are your two different um, video outputs, NTSC and PAL. So that's uh, where you basically just swap one in and out. Or like if you order one of the motherboards, you can just swap the board out as to what type of video output you want. And the last one from him, another video concept, HDMI output directly from the board, just an RGB to HDMI board in disguise and integrated with a PAL video board. So this is one board that replaces the red ones we were just looking at, and we'll go straight out to HDMI. Now, if the NTC version of that, that would be kind of handy for us up here in North America, because then you wouldn't even need like a SCART converter or anything. You just go straight to HDMI on your modern TV. Just checking in the chat again. Um, Phantom 8 but says Superplay was pretty cool not just using a sine wave um, a waveform editor is included with Superplay and 14 starter waveforms are included so it's quite good I remember seeing the demo that I never really played with it too much because I was getting into OS 9 a bit too much at that time but uh, I might have to go back and check that out I know like uh, Graph Express 2.0 has some multi-voice stuff and some control of the waveforms as well too, but it's a bit more limited on how much RAM you have free because it's a lot of the driver for that has to stay in memory with your basic program. So you lose a fair bit of memory, though it also handles stuff like overlapping, non-stopping windows and sprites and sprite collisions and all kinds of stuff too. But Yeah, Superplay stays out of your way when uh, for basic. It actually loads on a 64K machine. It loads everything up into upper high memory. I was just about to ask, it's, it's not just Coco 3 then, it's Coco 1, 2, or 3. So that should work in the Dragon pretty well, too. Why I mentioned it. Cool. And Julian says NTSC is just as simple for RGB to HDMI, so that going straight to an HDMI off that little satellite board would work with NTSC just as well. Clean up your desk a little bit. And that's it for the news this week.
That's your cue to oh. wake up, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Do you guys remember years ago in the mall where they'd have a computer hooked up to a camera and then they they do this type of thing and print you out a nice picture of yourself or your, yep. with your girlfriend? Uh-huh. How much was it, like 10 bucks or something? Or... I don't think it was that expensive when I remember. Uh, it, yeah. Depending on when, I guess. Uh, some yeah. places did it for free, I guess, I think. Yeah. Used to be a little kiosk booth. You sometimes get like a buck or sheet or something like that. Yeah. This is ASCII art behind me. So... Yep. That's how you did graphics dumps on a daisy wheel. <laughs> yep. Right. It's pretty cool. And overprint the same sheet seven times to get shades of gray. Most of the ones I saw, if they were quick ones, they would actually just change what characters because like an M is fairly dense and fairly dark and like a, an I or degree symbol is pretty light. You just kind of mix the characters themselves. Which if you stood at distance looks really good when you get up close, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, actually, it, I think one of my newsletters actually has one like that here. That it, I it's a palette. I was I was deranged enough to do RGB captures and then print the three plates over each other to get one black and white printout that was pretty nicely defined for a Coco, but it was a lot of work. <laughs> like here's a cover of one we did for our newsletter issue 14 from 88, which is a what one of the uh, Warner Brothers characters. Oh yeah, Yosemite Sam. Yep, it's just a mixture of like eyes, periods. H's, M's, W's, slashes, sevens. Basically, they assigned each ASCII character a uh, density level of like how much black is represented and how much versus how much white, and then you just kind of treated them as pixels at that point. Cool. Well, was that everything for the show? I think so. Unless somebody else has anything to add. Anything upcoming? Yeah, Tandy uh, Assembly Meet, obviously, for those of you in the San Francisco area in two weeks. Okay. Um, did we decide on a date on the next uh, Coco? Or oh, yeah, you guys tech? are going to announce Cocoa that because uh, that's I uh, should leave it to people in charge. Go ahead, Mark. Overholzer. And Sloopy, because I guess he's involved, too. Oh, you're talking about Coco Tech. Um, yes, Coco Tech. Well, the only thing that's uh, inscribed in stone right now, haha, is uh, episode one of Coco Tech that Sloopy is spearheading this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, still in daylight time, here we are. Um, so uh, he's going to be working on, yeah, and he's going to be working on, um, I believe, Paul Barton's uh, system that uh, Ron Delvo shipped to him. So the stuff I'm working on, we have some tentative dates set, but we haven't inked it all down yet. But we're looking at like November 7th, and then December about the 6th, I think. Like about a month later, uh, and that would be Mikey and Boise well, by the sounds of it, and Boise well, on the first one. Uh, it'll be drive wire stuff. And how do we find? Go ahead. Do we find Coco Tech by uh, going to um, YouTube or? How? Yeah, it'll be on the same yeah. you, you, the same usual places. Yeah, Twitch, okay. exactly YouTube, where you're watching this show right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you realize that uh, the Coco Nation here, we have this uh, Zoom setup that we can use literally all day long. We have, you know, channels set up on, on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and I guess Periscope is the other one or whatever the other one is. And so, you know, there's a lot of bandwidth there that we're not using. So, you know, we've been kind of aiming for Tuesdays at the moment. Tuesday evenings, not a real good time for a lot of the world, but it's when it fits in the rest of our schedules for those that have day jobs. Um 
And I guess Sleepy's a little bit more flexible, so we might see some more variation there. But um, yeah, and Wayne Campbell and a few others are working working on some basic nine and OS nine stuff too, maybe even just regular basics. So we might pick a different day or something too to to do that kind of thing. Fine too. I um, think we'll try to keep them separate. Like we did that experiment on the episode zero, whatever you want to call it, where we kind of interplayed between Sleepy doing hardware and me doing a little bit of software. And I think it was I got more comments as time went on that it was a little bit too crowded. Initially, the response was, actually, that's a good way to fill the time. You know, if we're waiting for Sloopy to finish soldering a 16-pin chip or something like that. But I think it would be better to have commentary from the person doing it, explaining, you know, why we're doing this or something like that, as opposed to jumping topics. Sloopy, do you have something to say? Yeah, if anyone can hear me. Yeah, now we can. I mean, it's sort of like when Curtis was saying, if Sloopy was here, and I'm like, I'm here, and <laughs> no one can hear me. Well, if you showed up in time, we wouldn't have to worry about that. No, yeah. just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, you you explain that to my computer. Because <laughs> first it was like not wanting to connect to internet. Then it was uh, Zoom wanted to do an update. and uh, You still I sound hate. a little funky, but at least we can hear you. I hate computers. <laughs> <laughs> Could you send me that computer back then? <laughs> Get out on it. Just wait. Zippy's so going to fix uh, Ron Delvo's uh, Paul Barton computer with a hammer. Yeah. Oh boy, there are no bits. Uh, did you open it up? Was it in good shape? Um, actually, save it for the show. Yeah, save it for the show. Well, just spoiling if it. In, if, you know, if it was broken. Well, no, that's. Uh, I did open it up yesterday, and yes, there was some uh, damage during shipping. Uh, it's not not major. Um, I can fix it, but uh, if you want, we can discuss it more after after the show. After the show, well, at, you know, on the new show. Yeah, well, I mean, after this show here, we can discuss oh. it. It's not it's not major, but it is significant. So. But um, wow. yeah, I put uh, the Tuesday show in the um, recommendations for uh, uh, um, news articles, but it didn't evidently make it into the news articles uh, so that it would be announced in a news section. Um, no, I figured because this is a sister show, that should be totally separate from news. Like this show should have its own talking about yeah, but it, I mean, I guess we're something in this show about that would be good, which I guess was what we're doing now. That's right. Yeah. 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 But, I have no intention of putting Coco Tech stuff into news per se because it's its own show. So we should promote it as such. Well, um, I mean, it's the that we put other shows into the news section, and it is part of the news for the Coco. But, but they're not our shows. They're, they're not people. us, though. It's not, yeah, it's not the same group. This is yeah. a nation show. Oh, yeah, this Coco Nation Networks thing. So yeah. you get your own little barb thing. In yeah. fact, I would I would like to start placing talking about what's coming up on Coco Tech earlier in the show before the news. That should be like an announcement off near the top somewhere to have it bumpers yeah, and own section, sort of like the project updates and acquisitions. Have it as his own mm -hmm. like yeah, exactly. This is coming on Coco Tech. Because we, mean... we can we can do requests for like future topics that people want. We can talk about, you know, people you know, long-term plans. We may not even have a date yet, but we're going to be covering this topic in the next couple months or something just to get people to start sending questions and stuff that they want to answer. Mm -hmm. Right, Just like a, um, use it as a bumper, like a, a, a scroll bumper between the segments. Um, uh, sort of like the... Um, I don't know, just have a Cocotech segment. Just yeah, Cocotech segment, not, not, not just a bumper because you want 
get the live interaction from the people that might be guest hosting it. Uh, like Sloopy might be talking about a project and you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing this hardware upgrade. Do you guys have any questions you want to send that I can talk about while I'm soldering a 40 pin chip? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm saying in, in this show, just a thing. And then saying, Hey, if you have any uh, related questions or comments, message us here or email yep. us, whatever. Um, for those who are familiar we can do uh, events on um, YouTube where it shows you that event coming up. And yeah, I saw the one that you've got is already actually scheduled on there. Yes. So there's an event scheduled for Tuesday. And we, when you see it in YouTube, you can hit the notification, notify on, and YouTube will notify you about. It'll even send you an email if you're not logged into YouTube at the time. Right. right as the show starts. Yeah, give me one second and I'll post the link for it. So, but no, I, I do we... want people to know that, you know, this, the show will not strictly be Tuesday evenings, just depending, like Mark said, it'll depend on the schedules right. of the people involved in that particular segment. So are we uh, CNN now? Coco Nation Network? Yeah. Network? No, we're, we're getting there. We got the Game On <laughs> Challenge. We got Coco Tech. We've got the Coco Nation show itself. Right. Pretty soon it would be a 24-7 news channel like CNN. That's the plan. Or, or ESPN, yeah, the breakfast cereal. Mark, are you ready to stay up 24-7 <laughs> to help host everything? Or No, uh, huh? I've already done my overnight shifts. <laughs> yeah, the... Um... And billing it as TCNN, the Coco Nation Network. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, We I posted the link to the stream on uh, in the chat. If you go there, you'll be able to see. You'll be able to uh, turn on the notification. Placeholder. Everyone will uh, be able to watch the goodness that is the cocoa and the technical side of things. Where So, Mark, just to reiterate, as a summary here, we've got the one coming up this week with Sloopy working on uh, cocoa hardware repair. Yep. So uh, uh, we've got uh, Boise and uh, Michael Furman going to be hosting uh, one or possibly two-parter on drive DriveWire, Pi DriveWire. Boise's drive wire, yep, on November 7th, tentatively on the calendar. That's not on the calendar, it's just tentatively. Uh, okay. I think uh, that, that Wayne, Wayne Campbell and I are planning on doing a deep dive into Base 9 and somehow the internals of it work. Uh, I also want to do some dental Nitrous 9 stuff too here at some yeah. point. Has, have you got any other suggestions in yet? Or volunteers uh, for hosts? No, not at the moment. I figured I'd recruit various people as needed um, when I was originally thinking this through. So. This has been a long time coming. I mean, OG Stevie had kind of thrown this out two or three years ago. And it's like, yeah, I think it'd be a good idea because, you know, this show here, we can't go into too much depth without kind of, you know, getting making six hours. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, let's do another show where we could take a couple hours and dive into something. And it's like, there's no asparagus. You know, it's like, we'll try to keep mm -hmm. it down time. But, you know, if you don't like it, you know, wait for the next one. They come along yeah. every week or so <laughs> i'm pretty sure at some point michael Furman's going to want to do a flex deep dive too because he's going to be doing the lightning talk on flex at the, the tandy assembly or i'm sure yeah. he really oh, uh, want to come to that. and floppies that's the one we're aimed for the first oh yeah that's another one yeah with david and, and mikey going to yep. floppy talk the real floppy talk yep we got david on board with that he thinks no. it'll be fine so we'll, we'll get these on the calendar and scheduled so and we'll start promoting them yeah, because I, I want to try to get as many of the subjects, even if we haven't officially scheduled them, even don't even have all the hosts lined up, but we know we're going to plan on doing it, is to let people know as far ahead as possible. If they mm -hmm. have any questions on that specific subject, send it in now, and then we'll work it into the show, even if it's two months out. Yep. 
you know, some of the stuff that we did in Coco Talk is still in what, um, you know, all those different episodes and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and um, I guess at some point or another, we could also um, condense a couple of things if it talks about a certain area of the Coco that um, they covered or we covered, you know, back in the day. Uh, do we have access enough to, I mean, is it okay to go back? and do stuff like that or or is it something that we wouldn't even consider and everything's going to be new mm. well me personally i'd like to reference back to that but again you know new stuff comes along all the time and it's nice to have it condensed and you know less fluff i guess and right. more but yeah there is good stuff and that's part of the reason way back when i started indexing the shows and slippy did that too so you can go back and find stuff right and i really make a master index get all the shows indexed all the way back uh, and yeah. this, so you could create. And we links. do need we do need a volunteer to start indexing the current rep batch shows because I don't think we've done an index in quite a while, have we? No, not in the last year. Yeah, basically, the, the, Ron, um, you're retired. You have time, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, especially on YouTube, you can go through and you can put uh, hours and minutes and seconds, and uh, you know, with col divided by a colon, and that the comment for the YouTube video will then reference into the video at that point. So you have like a uh, quick a bookmark where you can jump into that. Yeah, because we have all those personalities that we uh, interviewed, you know, which yeah. will never get old. I mean, it's great mm -hmm. to hear them talk yeah. about all the things they contributed. And some of them aren't with us anymore. And so that's all we're yeah. going to get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've referred people back to some of the interviews we've done in the past. I've even back, gone back and watched some of the earliest ones ourselves when I had that crappy mic and stuff. I mean, the quality isn't as good, but... <laughs> You still have the history of, of of talking to that person, even if they're no longer around, so that it's not lost. So anyway, look forward to multiple um, episodes of Coco Tech coming up. Uh, we'll keep you posted every week if we've got any further, you know, announcements of specific episodes, when the running of the hosts are, what the subject matter is, etc. But keep suggestions coming. You can send them out of the Coco Tech page on Facebook. Thanks to Ron created that page mm -hmm. uh we also have a coco tech section on the coco discord you can send suggestions there you can even email us at uh, the coco nation show or what is it whatever our email address is <laughs> <laughs> i never remember the damn thing <clears throat> need to promote that more we need that running in the thing here on the bottom of the the show so i can look it up you know the email the shows on. actually is so scrolling across right now. Is it? I can't read it because it's on the little thing yeah, here on our Zoom. We don't so. see it. It says email the show at info at the com. There you go. <laughs> or you can email it show at the com. Should we create a, an email account for Coco Tech specifically? help weed it out from just general like your, your show sucks. I mean, your show's great. Well, it's not like we get a lot of emails anyway. Well, the show hasn't really started. No, I've um, had emails in general. So, yeah. Well, I mean, well probably because none of us ever remember what the email address is to tell people. So. <laughs> At least in my case. Yeah. And we have so many other contact ways. I mean, Facebook with the main Coco Nation page and the new Coco Tech page. And of course, the Discord and the channel there. There's so many other ways to contact us. The email's probably the last of them, but we probably should have one just because. Mark, yeah. are you basically the head of this uh, whole uh, effort, Coco Tech thing? I think I am. Um, okay. And um, yeah, I need I, to send, send, you, send you a thing on this. Uh, yeah, basically, I kind of 
spun the thing up in that Stevie, OG Stevie had mentioned this, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so actually about a year ago, I think it was, yeah, it was on my anniversary. I basically sat down and penciled out an out interview outline, kind of like what Curtis does when we interview people and sent it to Stevie and said, Hey, I'd like to do a, you know, a show on, you know, Coco talk where we would, you know, do focus on tech and do this. And he says, Hey, that's a great idea. I think we should do that. He says, I know you've been talking about that for a couple of years and I want to make it happen. So, yeah. I actually uh, made this logo up in January. Yes. Yep. I made, I yeah. make that. Yep. And that, that's and then, why we rushed out that first episode, the episode zero, just to get the ball rolling here. Cause uh, Mark was quite busy at the time. So he didn't really have time to do it. Cause we talked about it a few times too. And then sleepy and I just kind of went, wow, just, just doing, but while it's still step handy and the fire's hot, we get some new people in to watch. Yeah. No. Put me um, in I, I was waiting another week before I did it. Cause I wasn't ready yet. You're the one who, who, I wasn't ready yet either, but if we if you wanted to make September and all the extra views you get from that, you had to hit it while the iron's hot. You can't wait till October because then yeah. people quit searching for the tag; they never see it. Good yeah, idea. You told me earlier in the month. You shouldn't have waited until the week before the end of Septandy to say. Well, I was hoping that you know the the natural part of the show with Mark in charge would happen, but Mark was too busy, so then I just I waited too long, I guess. I was getting ready for the Seattle event, so anyway. Sometimes you just gotta say, "Screw it, I'm gonna do it anyway." Well, you know, well, you basically you basically jump started the thing, so now it's a going thing. So everybody, get on board the train. Yeah. Now, so I, once I, again, I, though, we do need a volunteer to start doing the show notes. We do need to get that going so people can search out specific topics and actually find them because that's missing now and has been missing for years. So, it'd be helpful. Hey, Ron, what was your question, by the way? You well, asked. Me I, I did. I did want to ask um, or say um, I made the logo up in January. And really nothing really happened. And every once in a while I'd show it, you know, and ask about it. And then finally it's starting to come forward. If I had known that um, Coco Tech was going to have all these different segments, I probably would have uh, designed a logo a little bit different to include those areas on the side. But I, I did make up for it. And I, you know, added some of those things on the corner. And I've gotten some feedback from some people, which is good. But um, that's the evolution of how it came about. If, um, like I say, I would have done it different, but um, if any of you guys have ideas about, you know, what you want to do or whatever, if you want to change the logo or something, get in touch with Mark. Um, he's basically the boss master. Hey, hey, Ron, I don't blame you at all. Initially, when I penciled this out, like I said, I posted and I'll send it to you because I don't think you saw it. The uh, the outline, I was thinking of like an interview show, like when Curtis was doing, you know, interviews with like game creators and stuff. And so then when this thing kind of kicked off, then we had like Sloopy doing hardware and that's more like a hands-on tech thing, tutorial type of thing, right. really a different facet than what I was thinking of. And then, you know, the software thing is to be similar, but different. And so that's when I kind of came up with the idea of kind of co-branding or sub-branding Coco right. tech and that's a sub-brand. So yeah, you're not behind on it all. Thank you very much. Okay. He did excellent work. See the Coco tech channel on Facebook and you can see all the graphics and make comments on them. If you think we make it better, I just want yeah. someone to make it out and we've already had some great suggestions from sloopy and others and they look so much better and so let's make this right. happen good and ron did you uh catch your one of your january logos in the uh pre pre-show today hmm. i think I uh, is it something you always run right uh yeah well, yeah i, re I, yeah. I uh, reworked it this morning oh no and added one of your instead of the septandy one i added yours oh cool <laughs> thanks also, welcome to Martin Mack, who on that uh, stream that we covered earlier in the news there that uh, was his first live stream that Sloopy and I were on because he was in that call, too. So. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I, I don't have really any uh, ego on this stuff. You know, I have enough Facebook groups to take care of. And, um, you know, if anyone, one of you people can do something better, do it. It's, you know, I'm for it. It's, it's awesome. It'll work out. You know, I'm just somebody like Ron that I can ask, Hey, could you throw this together for me? Yeah. I'm majorly happy with that. Someone yeah. that has some graphics talent. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the reason I think we, you know, Ron does most of it because he actually does have a background of that. He can I, actually do it. I can't even draw a sprite <laughs> after a day. So, right. But we do need somebody to start indexing the shows again to make it searchable for people that have picked up a Coco to grad sale and are trying to fix some hardware or are interested in the history of a game or, you know, because we interviewed the person or whatever. Um, we do need to get those going again. And Sloopy's got so much hardware stuff going on now. I don't think he has time to do it anymore. Yeah. And we can train you and it's really easy. Anyone, even if you don't know anything about streaming or video or anything, it's not hard at all. All you have to do is be able to count to 59. <laughs> so hopefully we can get a volunteer for that. For those of you that may not have the technical skill of you know, programming or doing hardware and stuff, this would be perfect because basically you just have to listen to the show and then just type oh, in like, like you know, we talked about this at this time and, and link and, it in so that people can search. And you don't oh, have, you to, have to listen to the show? Yes. And whoever yeah. wants to put on something, you don't have to be the streamer. You know, Alan uh, shows uh, does does something similar to that when he does his recap, and and we'll get it in the was it email, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, time. I think he does a great job on that. And if nobody's ever said anything, I'm saying it, it's great. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Yes. Yeah. And uh, a shout out, thank you to uh, Martin. Uh, for joining us and uh, Eric Sedge for joining us on the show. Oh yeah, I just noticed Eric Sedge too. Greetings. So. And I think that's a wrap. Yep. Okay. Push the button, Frank. All right, we cut her down button. to four hours today, folks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this concludes another episode of the Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright. 2022 D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. And now for a bonus fact, uh, Frank Linares actually texted me because his uh, message got blotted out in the chat earlier. We're talking about, you know, the different languages and what Coco possibly means. He said, Coco in Portuguese means poop. Spanish is very oh, similar. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I had to bring that one up. Well, our next episode of Poopy Tech will be on the 24th. We'll be covering the poop, too. Yeah. <laughs> Not upgraded. Very, uh, very descriptive. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Well, Good night, everybody. Bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Push the button, Frank.